Warning. The Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger viewers. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there's a spoiler warning in effect for the entirety of the anime Sirius the Jaeger. If you have yet to see the series in full, please be advised. And of course, the views and opinions expressed are that of the individual participants and do not reflect upon the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Now, my children of the night, it is time for us to count how many arcs we will discover tonight. One, ah, ah, ah. Two, ah, ah, ah. Three. Oh, wait, no. There are only two arcs. But, bad count impression aside, thank you for tuning in, and please enjoy as we sink our teeth into the delicious, violent, bloody action thriller that is Serious. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, where a group of vampire hunters and werewolves come together to discuss duds both old and new. My name is Jet, and tonight I'm joined by Roots. Werewolf? There! Wolf! Andrew? Who knows what we're doing to you in the shadows. Yeah, and uh, this was a Hello, my name is Megan, and I just ordered more Nendos because I must have all my fucking sons. I also love my boyfriend, Roots of Justice, a lot because he's adorable set of pugs wearing a trench coat. Oh, and let's not forget, Andrew wants to fuck Sans and needs a bu- that body pillow. All hail our lord and savior, Gritty! <laughs> Excuse me, madam. Um, you sound... You sound different today. No, I don't. What are you fucking talking about? Uh, uh, so this was originally supposed to be a Teen Grimdar episode, but, uh... <laughs> uh but, uh, th- okay, uh, but things happened, so instead... Uh, so instead of Megan, we instead have our temp. We have our temp lilac. I feel so dirty hailing Gritty now as my lord and savior. God, I need to wash my mouth up with soap. Fuck. No, it's perfect. That's it's okay. We'll get you around one of these days. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> also, also. You've only seen 1% of my power level. I mean, you are those pugs in a trench coat, but also, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, sweetheart. I'm not sorry, Andrew, for the Sands joke. As you yeah. shouldn't be. It's good comedy. So- <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Jet, what the hell are we here for tonight? So we are here tonight to talk about the dub to the PA Works bloody action series from summer 2018, or, you know, December 2018 for us because Netflix. Uh, <laughs> serious, the Jaeger. <laughs> Uh, so, if you need to know what this show is about, uh, going off of the synopsis on A&N, uh, in the Imperial Capital in the year 1930, a group of people carrying musical instrument cases land at Tokyo Station. They are called Jaegers, who come to hunt vampires. Among them is a young man with striking serenity and an unusual aura. His name is Yuli, a werewolf whose village was destroyed by vampires. Yuli and Jaegers engage in a deadly battle over the mysterious Holy Ark, only known as the Ark of Sirius. 
So, basically, yeah, this is pre-World War II Japan with vampires. It's pre-World War II <laughs> Japan. I was actually thinking, okay, this seems like an oldish setting, but it's before World War II, apparently. Which makes... Yeah. They're going for historical sci-fi with this one, which is pretty it, it, interesting setting. See, see, Jet describes the musical instrument cases, and I, my it, my thought now goes like mafia horseshit. They never went full mafia on this one, though, and it makes me very sad. <laughs> this isn't Bakuno, and I'm very depressed now. It's also like uh. Japan. I don't think they had the mafia you're thinking of. In Japan. You never know. <laughs> Which is a really yeah. weird could be, thing, because we could literally... Could be some underground shit. We literally <laughs> just recorded Joker game, like, Wednesday. <laughs> so right. now we're back to pre-World War II Japan. You right. <laughs> Roots and I are back in the rabbit hole on this one again. So, as always, we will start things off with our ADR staff. And uh, there's actually quite a few names attached to this one for a 12-episode show. Uh, so for our voice directors, we have uh, two people. We have one Christian Lamont and Lucian Dodge. Uh, Christian Lamont, you would know more for his script writing credits, but he has also served as a director on Danganronpa 3, the animation for both the Future and Despair arcs, Tales of the Stereo of the X, and Hero Mask. Boy, I really don't want to remember Hero Mask. <laughs> uh, you, Lucian Dodge. I, I'm guessing he was the California director then for Zisteria and Danganronpa then. Makes the most uh, sense, yeah. Uh, yeah, appara yeah, apparently at least, like, uh, at least according to what I saw in it. Uh, so uh, Lucian Dodds, on the other hand, is known more for his work in voice acting, and his only other directing credit at, in anime at the moment is Little Witch Academia. Interesting. Uh, uh as for our adaptive scriptwriters, we have not one, not two, but three people on this one. show. One! Uh, uh, uh. Two! Uh, I was uh, about uh, to make that three. joke, you little <laughs> Three scriptwriters! Uh, uh, uh. Uh, Andrew, you <laughs> asshole. I was about to make that joke. You beat me to it. Uh, uh, so our scriptwriters are Joel McDonald, Marilyn Moore, and Tyson Reinhardt. Uh, Joel McDonald has worked on such shows as Hunter x Hunter... Fate Stay Night, Unlimited Blade Works, and Claymore. <laughs> Hunter, uh, Hunter, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I don't Shut care up, fedora-wearing asshole. <laughs> I don't care if the X is technically silent. That's how I call it. Alright. <laughs> uh, uh, Marilyn Moore has done adaptive scripts for such shows as Hero Mask, The Asterix War, and Mars Comes In Like a Lion. And lastly, Tyson Reinhardt has done script for such shows as Heavy Object, Brave Witches, and Tokyo Ravens. So, Staff, would you like to start us off? I suppose, because I watched the entire show today. <laughs> <laughs> Huzzah! Um, so, I'm just looking at the staffing real quick here, because um, if my recollection serves, Tales of Zisteria and Daigon Rampa were co-director efforts, right? Uh, between yeah. uh, Lamont and Bevins. Yes, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, so this is like Chris and Lamont's second so, well, okay, well, no, his only solo thing at the moment is Hero Mask, but... He, he's yeah. directed a couple of video games as well, most notably okay. Valkyria Chronicles 4. Yeah. And then obviously, <laughs> with Lucian Dodge, the only other thing that he's directed is my 
Uh, not my hero. Little Witch Academia. I almost got the wrong academia <laughs> show in here. <laughs> Young not Akko, you too can be a witch. God damn it. No, but I think, like, I think the key thing here, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, is because um, Lucian and Christian haven't really, don't in general, they don't have a lot of direct credits under their belt. Um, and it's the first time we're seeing the two of them work together, too. Um, I think that it's very, it's actually really solid, um, considering their first outing together, and they're still fairly new uh, directors. I mean, the casting has been was solid throughout. The performances were just awesome to me. I mean, the last right off the bat, like the last two characters will end up talking about. This is probably the for me anyway the first time I'm actually going to be talking about these two individuals because I have not had the chance to talk about these two individuals at all because this is how often ladies and gentlemen I talk about California Dubs almost never but usually when Jed drags me into it <laughs> um, but I think it's pre- it sounds pretty solid and it's pretty diverse um, based on based on who we're going to be t- ending up talking about a mix of familiar voices a mix of people that I don't really know or really talked about. And then there are the one or two people where it's like, fuck you, that's not that person. Fuck you, that's not that person. (laughs) Everybody's probably going to know exactly who I'm talking about when I say that. Um, And in terms of the script, um, I'm not too, too familiar with Marilyn Moore's script work, uh, so I can't really comment there. Joel obviously has done quite a bit of Funimation stuff, but he has drifted over to California on occasion. Tyson is the interesting one. Has Tyson ever done a California script? One, but Uh, we're probably not going to get to that show. So yeah, considering like two of these, two out of the three script writers are more Dallas, Texas regulars, and then we have one actual California script writer. I think it's very interesting having this team coming about here and i think for pretty much it's a pretty straightforward script there's nothing deviating deviating away from the material material or anything like that granted again i've only watched the english dub today i haven't watched the japanese at all um nor am i probably going to ever go back to the japanese in all honesty but um i'd say overall in terms of director and script it's pretty solid throughout and with some very interesting casting choices and performances throughout so it i say it's really solid in all honesty especially for a netflix show okay uh roots yeah the um overall the direction's pretty solid i'm i'm actually kind of curious if lucian dodge has ever you know directed video games before i did not have a chance to look that up before i started recording but I know Christian Lamani has quite a bit of experience on that side of the industry, so... Like, direction's pretty solid. Um, one of the things that was kind of weird, because I'm used to it, but I know not to expect it, is... Despite a lot of the characters having different backgrounds and countries of origins, there were no accents. That was, I forgot about that point, yeah. Like, for me, I I would have, like, not even noticed it. And then, what was it? It was at least halfway through the show where all of a sudden we learned, like, Philip is, Homeland is London, and then Fallon is Ireland, and we're like, oh, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was a point I was going to make, too. The and big, then I beefy think, like, boy from the Emerald Isle. And then I think, uh... 
uh, Yuli and Mikhail are from like Russia or some other part of. Yeah, and they're like, it was, it was yeah. weird because, like, I'm pretty sure that when I looked up, like, info on Fallen, they said he was Irish American, so maybe, like, that's why, but. <laughs> okay. I mean, but still, like, the second you bring that up, it's like, uh, that's, that, I forgot to make that point entirely, and I was going to come back to it, and then Roots beat me to it. Um, it kind of did take me out of it a little bit. Like, all of a sudden, like, wait, hold on. <laughs> wait. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's really no less. Uh, no more distracting than like yeah. Stardust Crusaders. <laughs> so <laughs> I need to finish. Which, <laughs> like, the only weird thing was with that was Richard Epcar basically switching it up. But yeah, that's neither yeah. here nor there. Uh, in any case, the scripts are actually pretty solid. It's kind of cool to see Tyson Reinhardt on it in particular because he is. From what I understand, he is kind of a buff of that time period. So it's it's nice to have somebody who has a little bit of homework under their belt toward... Oh, I didn't know like, that. Pre and during World War II era stuff. So, yeah. Well, Tyson can be my best friend. I love World War II stuff. <laughs> so, very solid all around. Good job. Okay, uh, Andrew? Uh, I definitely say that, for the most part, the script is pretty alright and does its job. The only thing I would even consider... This is not even, like... Okay, what I'm gonna say, this is not a fault of the show. This is not a fault of the adaptive writers and what they did. It's the fault with the fact that the word serious is used as a proper noun for the entirety of the show. So you have to figure out when people are saying serious as in the serious or serious as uh, in are you serious quite regularly. And it okay. gets a bit hard to keep track of that. It's pretty well, good, but it's, I get very confused sometimes. Well, I, I easily kept track of it actually. <laughs> I did too. Like, it's I didn't just, have it's that just, problem It's with just you. a personal thing that I think bugged me, and it's not the fault of the English dub. It's the fault of the actual narrative using the word mm. "serious" as your race MacGuffin, basically. Race slash Deus Ex Machina MacGuffin. <laughs> more or less, more or less. But I think for the most part, everybody sounds pretty good. The dialogue's a lot of fun. Especially when a lot of the characters are just kind of interacting and hanging out with one another. And when things got to get dramatic and brotherly lovey, uh, it works out pretty well. Uh, brotherly lovely. Voice direction's pretty solid for the most part. Uh, a lot of the background characters and one-offs are pretty fun. Sometimes a little bit goofy, but I think... Everybody does a pretty good job sounding very convincing or very into it with major props, especially to uh, the leading actors at the helm of this, because they're two actors I've become very impressed with who very much have to carry a lot of the action and drama on this show almost single handedly. And I think the direction from Christian and Lucian uh, do a very solid job all around. Okay. Uh, as for me, uh, while I have heard like some of Blue Shin Dodge's work as a director with uh, Blue Witch Academia, 
Uh, between this and Hero Mask, I've only kind of recently gotten a feel for what Christian Lamont is like as one. Uh, Direction-wise, I don't think it's quite as good as what I heard from Hero Mask, which is like the only good thing I'll ever say about that show. Uh, but it's, it's a, uh, but this is pretty solid, and Lucian and Christian managed to get some pretty good performances out of uh, fresher actors and some really strong ones out of some of the veterans in this show. Uh, there's like maybe one performance I was like a little shaky on, but aside from that, I don't have like any serious complaints about the voice work. As uh, far as the script grows, uh, you'd think that with three different scriptwriters on the show, you would potentially end up with, a, with an adaption that feels like, you know, maybe a little all over the place. Uh, but there's a lot of consistency here, and a lot of it more or less reads as though the same person wrote everything. Uh, the, I mean, nothing about the, about the translation was particularly spiced up, but, you know, since this is a period piece and, you know, it's a pre-World War II thing, it kind of makes sense that the script is free of any modern slang or anything like that. And uh, it comes off as fairly believable for what the setting is. Um, so, yeah, all in all, I thought it was pretty solid on both fronts. And with that, I guess we're going to move on to characters. What kind of characters are we discussing, first and foremost? A lot of characters, sweet. The wacky. The wacky. That's uh, one way to describe them. The <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I didn't know that was where you were going with this. No, I was trying to, oh, I was trying to go for yes, that, but I couldn't remember the yes. whole song. <laughs> were you trying to do the Adams Family? Okay. <laughs> See, if this were the Adams Family, that would imply the one, ki- the one guy in this scenario fucks, and I don't think anybody would fuck with a face like that. <laughs> no, 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 he's the uncle. Oh. This guy's oh. the uncle. Fair enough. Anyways, please introduce our Adams okay, Family, uh, if you will. So, yeah, uh, so we're starting off with some of our, like, less important vampires. Uh, we have Clarwine. Agatha and Tamara and Larissa. Uh, Clarwine is a mad scientist who serves the vampires and is uh, devoted to creating artificial life. Well, and by artificial life, I mean Frankenstein. Uh, Agatha is one of the vampire royals who drinks the blood of young men to maintain her youth. Uh, while Tam- uh, while Tamara uh, and Larissa are Yevgrob's like aides, I guess. Uh, basically, it's just like. He he basically just keeps a uh, little lowly uh, twitch. Yeah, uh, basically, it's like what if the Olsen twins were vampires? <laughs> Pretty much, That's the best description, <laughs> which is very depressing. That's a phrase I've heard tonight. This is gonna be a weird episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, uh, playing Carwine, we have Joe Osman. Uh, for Agatha, we have Allegra Clark. Uh, for Tamara, we have Jennifer Lossie, and for Larissa, we have Jackie Lostra. Uh, Joe Ochman has done uh, such characters as Baron Zeppeli from Joseph's Bizarre Adventure Season 1, Oscar Webster from Violet Evergarden, and Ender from the Godzilla Planet Trilogy. Uh, Allegra Clark has had such roles as Slade from Berserk 2017, uh, Mito from Machia, Where the Promised Flower Blooms, and Peter Huey from Sword Art Online, Go Go Online. And uh, Jackie Lostra has had such roles as Nika Aoi from, Bur- from Beyblade Birth Turbo and uh, Eo from Grand Blue Fantasy Animation. And uh, as for Jennifer Lossie, this is apparently her first anime credit as far as I can tell. So, there you go. 
I've, I've seen her as a couple of one-offs in uh, JoJo Diamond is Unbreakable. Uh, okay. Um... See, I don't have any notes for every for anyone except Allegra. So this ought to tell you how much I remember the the other two performances. Um, hmm. You, you just gotta wing it and just pretend like you have notes. I know. I'm trying. Um. So. So far, it just seems like you have a very bad poker face. <laughs> <laughs> poker face. No, I can't go that route. I already went a different hole this morning. Oh, I went down a different rabbit hole before record. I can't go back anywhere. Um, shit. Don't make me go back into rabbit hole. Um, I'll start with Joe. Uh, with, with Joe as Carline. These names. Um, only because he's goofy and weird. <laughs> and I kind of enjoy it. I have a gripe with the show, though. Why? You can't bring up Frankenstein's monster and just not go full out with it. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I, I, I think I went into the little chat we had earlier, and I was like, is the main, is this really a whole tale about Frankenstein's monster? And then I think it was Ruth who was like, no, nah, it's just a subplot that they don't come back to. I'm like, why? <laughs> like... You can't go vampires and werewolves, basically. You can't complete the Holy Trinity and just half-ass it with Frankenstein's monster. Okay? Sorry. That's the problem with the show, though. Um, but Joe was kind of fantastic. Like, I completely forgot who he was until Jet started reading the credits for him. And I got to JoJo and Violet Evergarden. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> it's this guy, isn't it? It's the bastard made me cry. Oh, shit. He's got a pretty versatile uh, resume, yep. for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, I ha I, I do enjoy the ham the ham the hamtastic goodness that is Carline here. Um, as for Tamara and Larissa, um, obviously I've never heard of these two actresses before, ever. Um, but they they were a lot of fun. Slightly obnoxious. But probably as vamp royal vampire little girls should be. So I'm not too mad about it. Um, I'm actually mostly here to talk about Allegra Clark. Because <laughs> hot damn. <laughs> like, Allegra is, like, very strong and seductive. And she will <laughs> kick your ass if she needs to. Like, holy mother of freaking god. I think this is the first time I've actually ever been talking about Allegra Clark on an episode. And what a great introduction for me. <laughs> Holy shit, Agatha can is like, she would kick your ass any day of the week, and then you would just die. It's great. Um, yeah, I think it, even though she's in there for two episodes, which I'm very disappointed that she's not in any longer, I really enjoyed it. It's a very strong and powerful performance, um, and she will cut a bitch. Quite literally, she will cut a bitch. Um, yeah, I think all of the all of them. Despite maybe not me not having many notes or remembering three out of the four, I enjoy the performances of these ones. Okay, uh, Roots. Uh, yeah, I'll start with uh, Clarwine. I I really like the the sort of goofy hammy quality uh, Joe Ackman gives him, especially toward the end of the show where his where basically his course has been run, and he's just. Like, he's just sitting there like a useless background character. He's just and like, Master just... doesn't love me. Master doesn't love me anymore. 
show just constantly calls him out on it. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Master doesn't love me anymore. I must do things for Matt. Nope. <laughs> yeah, done. Like it's just uh. hilarious how the how the show just thwarts him at every turn. But um, yeah, Tamara and Larissa, the the twins, like they were. It was a, they were good performances. Both were really creepy and like the the eerie vampire twins kind of archetype. Like there's there's not really much to say about it, even though like they're probably two of the vampires who get some of the most screen time of the show. But you know, and uh, Allegra, Allegra Clark as Agatha. That's a lot Ty of A's. Try saying that ten times fast. Um, Let's not. Yeah, I I like how despite the fact that she only has like two episodes to work with, like her character just steals the show every scene she's in. From that first fight scene to later on when she's basically got a sword leg. Like Again, she will cut a bitch. <laughs> Literally. Like, like her whole character arc is badass. Allegra Clark is badass in the role. Everybody here did a great job. Uh, okay. Uh, first, first and foremost, uh, Joe as, I'm gonna be honest, I don't really remember a lot of their names. I just, re I don't remember his name the, le the least. All I know is he basically got his face ripped off. He's got a mechanical monocle and he's a crazy man who wants to fuck a Frankenstein. Um, so... Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> Hold on. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what, how did this take a dark turn like this, babe? How? How is this a dark turn? This is exactly what he, he wants. He wants to he, fuck a Frankenstein? He made his... It's his baby, and he loves it so, and he wants it to grow up big and strong, and... Stop it! <laughs> and he wants to apparently have sex with it, is basically what you're saying. Look... <laughs> when you play God out of corpse parts, and you have a face that looks like that, you probably go into some weird places. Anyways, he sounds delightfully extreme, extravagant, and I don't think anybody he works with takes him seriously, despite the fact that he can make literal Frankenstein monsters. Everybody else is like, you're kind of dumb and lame. Let's go find a MacGuffin and basically take over the world. He's like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to make Frankenstein's pooey. The, He's the like, master, part... I want to make Frankenstein. Like, the funniest part about it is, like, the vampires were probably better off making the Frankensteins. The, see, that's why I was saying, like, you don't half-ass a Frankenstein monster plot, you sons of bitches. Like, go full out. Let's go. What the fuck? The horror, the horror lover in me is like, why? Why bother with the Frankenstein subplot? I'm sorry. I'm getting very salty about it now. I'm just going to sit here and stare at my phone and not be an idiot. Anyways, Joe is very much delightfully extravagant and hammy. Uh, the twins... Okay, I, I need to remember, because out of the four of these characters, only one of them comes out alive. Yep. Which yeah. of the twins is the one that survives? Tamara. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah, Tamara's the one that lives. Okay, so the twins 
very much our delightful, evil, bratty children who don't want to be bothered with any of the work and spend all their time teasing Mikhail, which, in their defense, he's a very easy target. He's a fucking fashion disaster. Um, but they are adorable, bratty, little, gothic, Lolita, ch Lolita vampire children who don't want to be bothered with hard work. And it actually is kind of interesting seeing, like, the dynamic between Tamara being like, we're gonna save our race, right? It's like, actually, no, I'm gonna kill everybody. It's like, oh no, that's a bad. It's like, hey help now, you? hey now, Andrew, be nice to Mikhail. The Scarface look was in when he got it, and he didn't realize you can't undo it. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, no, the, these are very extravagant, bratty little children. There are a ton of weird, extravagant, extra fun. Like, this is not a show I think is meant to be taken seriously. So just this level of pulp that is these vampire children just fighting Yuli. And the way, oh, I also just love the way they keep saying Yuli. Yuli is like, oh, it's so mocking and condescending. It's great. And finally enough, uh, we have Agatha. Allegra Clark is a ton of fun, and goddammit, this character lasts two episodes, but she's probably one of the more interesting vampires here. She's also really hot. Like, she's really hot. She has nails, and she would ki she would kill somebody. Like, so hold on, I need to ask this question to both, to both Andrew and Ruth because I hear things. Do you want this bitch to step on you? You know. <laughs> look. See, I got we got the special request to ask Megan this question from Megan to ask Ruth this question because reasons. But now I have to ask my own boyfriend. Honestly. <laughs> as well. When she still had both flesh vampire legs, maybe. As soon as she got the prosthetic, which probably has like a knife in it, I I got a little more skeptical. I, I, I thought she has the other leg though. This is true. So the answer is yes, clearly from you. <laughs> clearly I'm learning things about my own boyfriend tonight this is interesting <laughs> anyways look not judging point is this character is very like chaotic seductive and really interesting has a fun presence even though she's there for a short amount of time but Allegra Clark is a very impressive uh, voice actress who every time I hear more of her I've been very impressed with what she's capable of doing she doesn't get that much to do in the show but she left a lasting impression for uh, what she was able to work with so yeah uh, I enjoyed her okay I'm back in okay cool all right cool. So... I have no idea what happened there I'm sorry that's fine it's, it's okay cool. I gotta, I, can I go back to the joke? Go ahead. I, so we had technical problems for a second. And while Roots had technical problems, I asked Andrew a question. So I'm going to ask the same question of Roots because I hear things. I Me? hear things. And I got a special request to ask this question of you. Me? Yes, you. Agatha, yeah? Would you have her step on you? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I you plead can... the fit. <laughs> <laughs> yes! 
<laughs> you can thank your own girlfriend for asking Andrew and I to ask <laughs> Andrew was going to segue into it better than I was, and I just fucking ruined it because all of a sudden he jumps in on the bandwagon. I'm like, no, now I have to ask my own boyfriend this question. <laughs> okay, anyways. <laughs> You're welcome, Megan. Back. I love you, dear. Back on track. <laughs> Uh, okay. What track? What uh, track? Uh, okay, okay, I am going to have to call order. So. <laughs> okay. Um. So while the, okay, so while they're recovering, I guess I'll go. Um. Uh, uh, so I'll start with Allegra Clark since Agatha wasn't really around all that long, but I really enjoyed that performance. Uh, I appreciate that there was like a bit of contrast when she was like first introduced, where. Uh, Allegra's voice comes off as, like, mostly sultry and, like, seductive. Uh, as opposed to, like, after Yuli chops her arm off where she's all, like, really at rage and aggression. And, uh, this, and, uh, yeah, there was a lot of fun to listen to. And she is, uh, she is very much, she, she is very much the kind of person who won't take any crap. And will absolutely kick your butt if you cross her. So, that was a lot of fun. And, uh. Oh, it was her arm. Sorry about that. I thought it was her leg. No, no, I could. It was her leg. Oh, 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 it was her leg. Oh, 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 oh. She, she, okay. she lost an, she lost an arm and a leg, but she didn't get a replacement arm. That's uh, okay. There we go. Uh, okay, like for some reason, I only had the arm down. I guess I wasn't paying that much attention. Uh, well, you're you're half right. Uh, <laughs> you're half right. Well, you know those things do cost an arm and a leg. So. God damn it. This is an equivalent exchange right now. Stop it. <laughs> uh, but uh, any, I mean, but uh, well, like either way, I, I mean, I do kind of wish the character had a little bit more to do since I always like to hear like Clark and things. Uh, but she did what she needed to do for a starter villain, and she was pretty entertaining to listen to. Uh, the standout here for me though was uh, definitely Joe Osmond as Clarkwine because like I almost really couldn't tell that was Joe Osmond. Uh, like, I've heard him in a few other shows, and he's had, like, a pretty solid amount of range in the stuff I saw, but uh, this was definitely, like, the highest I've ever heard his voice go, and it was really surprising. And uh, that's not even, like, getting into the level of ham on display in his performance, because uh, he was very clearly having a lot of fun making Clarawai just sound as silly and over-the-top as possible. And, like, and I looked that he was able to make Clarawai's, like, really smug attitude when trying to wipe out the Jaegers, and... Like, all that boot-looking when he was, like, begging Yevgrod to let him make his Frankenstein vampires. Uh, yeah, that's, like, a real phrase I just said. Uh, so, like, both those things sounded like they would come from the same character, and it was really funny. Um, so, um, so, yeah, it was really a lot of fun to listen to, and it really makes me wish we had more opportunities to, to talk about Joe Archman, because uh, he's really good. Uh, as for Jennifer Lossie and Jackie Lastra, uh... The fact that the, their, their characters are twins makes their performances sound a little less distinct individually, uh, but I was really impressed at just how well their vocal pitches were able to match well with one another. And uh, while that seems like a pretty minor thing on paper, it did do a lot to help them to help make their interactions with Yuli sound, you know, very, very creepy. And I really have to give props to Chris and Lucha's direction in that respect. Uh, of course, while their voices did sound uh, very similar, I did, pre I did preach it that you could still kind of tell who was who, and uh, since Samara was the one who, you know, actually survives, uh, Jennifer Lossie was the one who stood out to me a little bit more. 
Uh, but uh, all in all, I'd say these performances managed, managed to hit their mark, even if I wish like some of these had a little bit more to do. But uh, yeah, they were fun. Just for clarification's sake, though, I know we, we're saying that Tamara survives. Doesn't she also die on the train? No, she no. After, no, 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 she, she lives. Like, she she lives. literally just leaves through the window. Yeah. I thought there was like dust and shit. I thought she succumbed to the fucking disease that was going on. The uh, I'm pretty sure she's alive. You sure? Because there was like dust and shit all over the place, and we don't see her leave the window. Uh, the the window <laughs> is open. No, the window wasn't. He opened it like a minute later. Uh, can't, like, I'm pretty, like, I, like, I watched the show twice, so I'm pretty sure I should notice, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure she survived. <laughs> I, it do, no, doesn't no, really matter. Now I have to this go is... back to this. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> we are. Now this is gonna bug me. <laughs> now we are actually really getting off track. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's gonna we'll bug just, me now. Don't we'll mind me. just call me. it a metaphor, call it a day. <laughs> yeah. Fine. If you don't get it, it's a metaphor. There you go. There's art. <laughs> There's our bullshit explanation, boys and girls. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, next up on our character list, uh, we had some of our human side characters. Or, well, seemingly human in one case. Uh, we have uh, Ryoko Nawe, uh, Hidomi Iba, and Bishop. Uh, Ryoko is the young daughter of Baron Nawe, who uh, develops a crush on Yuli and finds herself thrust into the world of the Jaegers. Uh, while Major Iba is a major for the Japanese Imperial Army who also works undercover as a news reporter and ends up investigating the vampires. Um, as for Bishop, uh, he's introduced as another Jaeger only for it to be revealed that he's actually a British spy, only for it to be revealed that he is actually a vampire, and only for it to actually turn out that he is somehow all of the above and also wants revenge against the vampires for being made into one and slaughtering all his comrades. Uh, okay. Because yeah, so, <laughs> we, we have to throw five plot twists at the end of the series. Because also, why he, not? he just looks like a cowboy gunslinger, but he's also British, but he's also a vampire. He's a cowboy British a gunslinger cowboy, vampire. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I want to bring up like, I want to bring up like literally all of these plot twists somehow happened literally within the span of a two minute conversation, and it yes. still somehow makes sense. <laughs> yeah it's like oh okay i believe this this sudden like pl like the one it's not even like a 180 it's like like not and not even a 360 it's like you go around the planet like five fucking times with these goddamn plot twists for this one fucking guy like what the shit it's a 720 backflip ollie thingamajig <laughs> Look, at this point, it's been, they, near the end, they basically were like, okay, let's see how far this, this train can go. <laughs> let's like see Tony how far Hawk we can gravity. take this train. We're not even going, we're going past the station. There's no end destination today. We Tony Tony Hawk 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 let's see if we can jump, <laughs> oh we can jump Springfield Gulch. <laughs> 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 thank you, thank you. Okay. Uh, so, uh, who actually plays these characters? Uh, uh, so, for Ryoko, we have uh, Reba Burr. Uh, for Iba, we have Greg Chun. And for Bishop, we have Gret George. 
Uh, Rainbow Burb has done such roles as Reiko Ichinose from Florence of Piano, Athena from Saint Seiya the Lost Canvas, and uh, Pony Goodlight from The Lost Song. Uh, Greg Toon has played such characters as James Blood from Hero Mask, Ikago from Hunter x Hunter, and Kuranasi from Twin Star Exorcist. Uh, lastly, Grant George has done such roles as Lancer from Fate Zero, um, Koga Amagi from Zetman, and, uh, and everyone's favorite character from that show, Iakujan from Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blooded Orphan Season 2. Fuck! <laughs> I forgot about Iak! I hate his bitch ass! <laughs> it's going over my head. The Gundam talk is going over my head. Uh... Uh, okay, all you need to know is that like, his character is like literally the worst, so... He is actually <laughs> the worst, and he is an idiot. He, he also... He's also in Skippy, yes? Yeah, yes, he is. I'm gonna get my people wrong if I'm yeah. being stupid. Okay, okay. Yes, yes, he is in Skippy, he is. Good. Alright. Yes. He's that asshole. Yes, yes, he is that guy. <laughs> He's that asshole. And Jen and I know her, Jen and I are just like, yup. <laughs> 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 oh, oh god um so going into these performances then because i'm assuming we're good and you want me to go uh, first, oh yes. yeah oh yeah go ahead okay good um so <laughs> uh i'll start with reba because um i completely forgot who reba was and then i looked in the credits and i forgot she was catalea in violet um and i'm just like this is a completely different tone of voice than the last time i heard her in so i'm actually really impressed with that um, and considering with Ryoko as a character, she is, she's a lovesick puppy, yes, but she also has this spunk and this fire about her that I actually really enjoy, um, Reba portraying in the performance because Ryoko is sure the main joke that she's involved with, like the running joke for her is yes, she has a crush on Yuli, but she also is set to be the next head of her family she has a lot of pride with her family and wants to like get out there see the world just so she could understand more and actually like lead her family as the next head so i have to commend her for all that and one with such being such a young age and considering like during that time period for women in general too i mean that's pretty b badass if you put if you were to consider that in historical context as well um so i really enjoy that reba was able to be like a bit of a spitfire and kind of strong-willed and spunky at the same time it was fun um though of, again with her being the having the running joke of having a crush on newly um it did distract on occasion um from ryoko's character in general but that's more the fault of the show and not reba herself um greg chun as major iba i'm trying to remember the last time i heard greg chun Ugh! Why is Bungo coming to mind right now? Uh, he, Why? Like, he, wa he was in that show. <laughs> was he the, um... He was the old guy from the, the Black Port Mafia. Leader. Thank you. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. So this is actually a little bit different, honestly. It's a little bit different. Um, not an old, not an old man, um, obviously. But even then, his character of that show, he didn't sound completely that old, which is actually really good. Um... Greg, I think, has... He's using a bit more of a tenor, baritone voice compared to what he did with Bungo. But in terms of the character himself, uh, Major Eva has 
kind of a broader view of the world or he's trying to expand his horizons a bit throughout the course of the show because like i wanted to kick this motherfucker into the sun because he's an idiot at first like it's like oh this per- this group is involved with all of this somehow they are the bad guys it's like are you fucking kidding me are you fucking kidding me? I wanted to punch this motherfucker <laughs> like several times because he was that much of an idiot. And then you finally get on the train and he actually learns what's going on. At that point, it's like, okay, now he's going to stop being an idiot. <laughs> Thank God. Um, and I really enjoy the performance because he's very, he has a broader view of the world, but and he also tries to learn and understand everything. So he has this militaristic pride about him and his duty and his work but he also has a good under good head on his shoulders and understanding like oh this is actually what's going down there's actually more to this than what meets the eye what everybody else knows so i really enjoyed the performance quite a bit from him and then (laughs) bishop this amalgamation of plot twists like what the actual living hell is this person um Wow. Um, for a character that really only comes in the last third of the show, I think I, I did enjoy Grant George's performance. It reminded me, it did remind me, unfortunately, a little bit of, um, oh, I can't remember the character's name is Skippy. Jet, character's name is Skippy. I'm pretty sure it's Keo. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Keo. Like, my, I had a brain fart too about that. I'm having a brain fart right now, but we know, you know, you know where this is, where I'm going with this. It sounds similar to that character because that character is also an asshole and Bishop does have slight remnants of being that jerk, but I do have to give him credit because he's the first actual vampire character that Yuli is actually willing to work with because of Bishop's motivations and to kind of see... To, to see not only that wall that Grant George has to kind of have with Bishop, but to also see those glimmers of truth behind them, it's actually very interesting. And, and especially, it seems it seems like this character shouldn't be complex in this short span of time, especially with all the plot twists. But <laughs> he somehow manages to have more than just a surface-level appeal to it. And it's actually really fascinating to see this kind of performance from grant george so overall i really enjoyed the three performances here um if i really had to pick a standout oh god it's hard i think because i liked her spunky fire that much i'd have to say for me reba as ryoko was the standout for the three. Oh. also j- just entering in quickly uh it was show fuo thank oh, you oh, oh. show fuo okay there thank you sweetie this is why you're here thank you appreciate you I was like, uh, yes, okay, yes, we're sorry. Please don't kill us, GG. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive us, GG, for we have sin. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, okay. Okay, uh, Roots. Reba vs. Ryoko. Um, I honestly didn't even know it was her when I was first watching the, uh, watching the show. It sounded like somebody else completely different, and I really like that when actors are capable of doing that. I really like, uh, Greg Chun's Eba, because like uh, like Steph was saying, he's he's a bit of a dumbass when you first meet him. About oh, everything. he's absolute dumbass. <laughs> like not gonna front. 
and he he kind of ends up becoming like the lovable dumbass by the end of the uh by the end of the show i i really like the little monologue he gets with um with ryoko in the last episode like i thought that was that was really cool where he was basically just trying to figure out what she's uh what she wants to do with her life and she kind of talks about that and uh oh boy once again grant george gets done dirty <laughs> <laughs> Still not as bad as some other scenarios, but he tries to be a hero, and then yeah. Well, you try your best, but you don't succeed. Lights will guide you home. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Coldplay, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but yeah, I. I, I actually kind of have to laugh because, like, Grant George's characters always seem to be getting done dirty. He does. Like, like even in stuff like Bleach. Who the hell was he in Bleach? Uh, uh, he was, um, what's his name's lieutenant? Uh, he uh, was, oh yeah, he was like, he was Isaac's lieutenant. No, oh! no, he was, he was the fox eye dude. So uh, oh, oh, yeah, fox eye dude, my bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, honestly, look, let's be real, everybody. Bleach gets done dirty one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> God yeah. damn it. But I, I really like how Grant George is basically able to roll with the punches of, uh, of Bishop. Like, that character goes through so many changes to his characters so quickly like i get the feeling the writers didn't exactly know what they wanted to do with him at first so they just kind of threw everything at the wall to see what stuck and it all stuck when you try your best but you don't succeed <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna equate yeah. to multiple things <laughs> but yeah you're I'll welcome boys all, all three of, like, the minor player human characters, like, they all have, like, really fun moments, and I like them all. Good job. Okay. Uh, so, as for me, uh, I'll start off with, uh, maybe, <laughs> uh, You missed, you missed someone. Oh, no, no, wait, 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 hold on. No, I don't think we missed anyone. Never mind, Jet. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so, starting off, um... I think I had the, I'll start off with uh, Major Ipa. He's a very odd character who definitely seems very suspicious. Like, he's got a lot more going on than you typically expect. But he kind of eventually comes around, starts helping them with the vampires. Though, in the grand scheme, he doesn't do that much. But I do think Greg Jun has this very... Greg Jun. Greg Chun has this very good... Uh, casual sly man like he's got a little more under the hood than you'd expect going for him definitely seems like he's playing it coy trying to come down to the truth and i think it's very interesting to see him interact especially seeing him interact with ryoko who is a character i actually was not expecting to like at first because at first she's just kind of like a cute little high school girl who does uh cool katana stuff and has a crush on an edgy on an edgy bad boy which let's be real everybody's had that at some point but she actually gets a lot of really cool moments especially when she's just 
basically standing her ground when it's like defending the house from the vampire attack and she's the one taking action while her dad's too afraid to do anything or or the fact that yuli is basically freaking out and going uh wolf fam wolf boy on her and she doesn't budge a bit which was really cool and the one moment where she gets to do something really cool where she just gets the sword and she chucks that guy in She's half. the undercover badass of the show. She's like the undercover badass. That's why I love her so much as a character because she's she, just such, such a spitfire. It's great. It's a shame she. both of these characters are pretty much left in the cold quite yeah. literally in the last third of the show because when they do get to do things, they're actually really cool and... Ryoko has this very distinguished, fascinating voice. I, I know it's not fair to compare a lot of voice actors to each other, but she sounds very on par to uh, Sarah Williams. And I really enjoy Sarah Williams a lot as an actress as well. So that is like, they have a very similar tone and cadence, but she does this really great job making Ryoko this spunky, modern, uh, girl who's got a crush on a bad vampire boy which it's okay give or take a couple decades teenage girls will be into furry sooner or later <laughs> <laughs> and then there's and then there's bishop and grant george is a very fun fascinating guy with a very distinct sounding uh dude bro voice <laughs> But he's also a gunslinger badass who is also a vampire who's also a secret service who also becomes a good guy in the end because near the end of the show, the moral is effectively, actually, I think we can work with vampires after all and make world peace and stuff. And that's kind of cool that it's like, you know what? This guy who's going to be an asshole, actually, he's going to work with us and he's going to fight with us. Also, he can fly and he shoots a little vampire gothic Lolita girl in the face. Um, <laughs> yep. So he gets to be cool and do some things before he eventually gets killed by the main vampire bad guy. But Grand George is a lot of fun as this character, and he can fly, and he is very fun, and he's very weird. But I had I very much had a fun time enjoying when he was on screen. All right. Uh, so as for me, uh, okay, got this proper this time. Uh, so I'll start off with Major Eba since I don't have like quite as much to say on him as I do the other two. Uh, so I haven't really gotten, like, the opportunity to talk about Grey Tune before. And uh, it's kind of a shame because he really has impressed me with a lot of his recent stuff. Uh, is a pretty interesting character in that he operates as a military spy. And, like, I kind of like how Greg provided, like, a very, like, subtle but pretty effective contrast between, like, the more casual tone when Eba gives off whenever he's, like, pretending to be a civilian. And then, like, the more, like, stern and hardened military man when he's, like, in the uniform. I mean, of course, uh, while Eba, of course, since Eba is a military man, I was, like, maybe a little bit worried as to what exactly they were going to do with him. Uh, since, uh, considering he, you know, he works under the Imperial Japan of the 1930s, and they weren't, uh, they weren't, uh, very heroic, to say the least, so I, uh, I very appreciate that he's just got, that he's just the kind of guy who mostly operates under his own personal interests. <laughs> and, uh, Greg did a very good job of making him seem like the kind of guy who just, you know, kind of does what he... He's just kind of doing whatever he can to get by, which is a, you know, a pretty decent compromise there. Uh, Raymond Burr, as Ryoko, on the other hand, was a lot of fun, and, uh, like you guys were saying, a lot more so than I expected her to be. 
Uh, when we were first introduced to this character and she immediately started crushing on Yuli, I kind of rolled my eyes a bit because I figured, you know, she, I figured, okay, she's going to be dead in like two episodes. Uh, but however, not only did she make it through the end of the show unscathed, uh, but she also showed that she, you know, she's willing to fight if she has to, like when she just casually decapitates a vampire. And I thought that was pretty refreshing. Uh, Raven definitely brought a lot of spunk and energy to Ryoko that really kind of made you want to root for her. And I ended up finding her pretty charming. Uh, in a lot of ways, she honestly kind of reminded me a lot of, like, early Orihime from Bleach. And by early Orihime, I mean specifically before she became a perpetual damsel in distress. And, uh... <laughs> remember that! Pepper's Farm remembers! Uh, yeah. The less I remember, the better. Move on. Yeah. Um, so she made the character sound, like, so dork and adorable that I really couldn't help but like her. And, uh, like I said, I really wasn't expecting to care for Ryoko much, but Raymer really managed to sell me on her, and, uh, she deserves some serious props. Uh, lastly, as for Grant George as Bishop, I also enjoyed this one a bit more than I expected to. Uh, when we first meet Bishop, he sees like your standard cowboy archetype, and Grant George plays him with the usual natural suaveness that you kind of totally expect from a Grant George performance. You know, albeit, like, maybe a little bit gruffer. Uh, however, when the shoe draws, and we learn that Bishop is actually a vampire, and Grant adds a little bit of extra edge to his voice on how to make Bishop sound like maybe a little bit more intimidating. And it helps to make the character sound a lot more distinct, especially when he attempts to get his revenge on the vampire twins. Uh, but uh, much like with the armor for Fate Zero, uh, the thing that stood out to me the most about Grant's performance was in the character's very last dying moments. <laughs> uh, because, like, once yes. uh, because once again, the level of rage in his voice... When he dies, and he told Yuli yeah. to avenge him, was like really terrifying, and it just reminded me that Grant George is really good at what he does, even if like what he does is die a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> die a lot. What? God damn it! Uh, so yeah, all three of these Grant performances get a thumb up for me. Grant George, <laughs> voice acting Leo Mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I don't know about Leomon, but I do Whoa. know he is one Leon. <laughs> God Kawada. damn it, babe! Yeah. Da, 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 yeah. da. Spoilers. Okay, and, uh, <laughs> I guess... So Sorry, I need Go to ahead. do one thing before we move on. <laughs> You're gonna fucking kill me. <laughs> Stephanie, 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 that is actually getting cut because YouTube is already fucking us enough as it is already. <laughs> Does it matter, hon? <laughs> no! Keep it in! Sorry, I thought we had to put your joke back in. Sorry. I was I sent the message to her to my wait, what's the Coldplay song? He's like, I don't remember. It's just a sad Coldplay song. It's called okay. Fix You, by the way. Okay, okay. Uh, Bring it in, hon. Okay, I must say, I must say, okay, I must say you're being a very good nigga to stand in. <laughs> you can't fucking stop me, Andrew. This is how shit works tonight, sweetheart. Uh, okay, um, so, uh, all right, so seriously, moving on. Uh, so next up, we have the three Jaegers who belong to the same squad as Julie. Uh, we have Dorothea, Fallon, and Philip. 
Uh, Dorothea is Professor Willard's right-hand assistant and a firearms expert. Uh, Fallon is a bulky Irish-American and kind of the big guy of the group. While Philip is the youngest member and holds a grudge against Yuli because his, because his parents were killed by their serious. Uh, let's put it like this. Uh, Dorothea's a babe, <laughs> Fallon's a big, beefy boy, and Philip is that kind of character that uh. Megan would love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, the adorable little goober? Uh, the adorable little goober who she will proceed to call a twink at least 12 dozen times. Calling you out, <laughs> Megan! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, oh, um, so oh, she's gonna have words with you. Okay, <laughs> um, so for okay, so for Dorothea, we have Tamara Ryan. Uh, for Fallon, we have Xander Mobius, and for Philip, we have Eric Scott Kimmerer. Uh, Tamara Ryan's credits are mostly in video games, but some of her other anime work includes Android 18 and Vados in the Toonami Asia dub of Dragon Ball Super. Oh right, and, that was a thing. That is still a thing, I believe. No, uh, it's not actually. It got, uh, I think after 26 episodes, it was discontinued. After yeah, because I think they just flat out got rid of Toonami Asia. Oh, that's, oh, that sucks. Okay, uh, so uh, she was also Fallon in Magi, the Adventure of Sinbad. Um, Xander Mobius has done such roles as Joker for Persona 5, uh, Momoshiki Otsutsuki for More to the Movie, and uh, Sakurai from Mob Psycho 100. And Eriksan Kimmerer has been Haruyuki in Excel World, Takeshi Aiza from uh, Your Lion April, and Hydra Neal from Blood Lad. And I just realized this is like the third, like, this is like the third angry blonde character Eriksan Kimmerer has played. Oh <laughs> shit, you're right. You probably will not be the last. No, that's the funniest part. Because what? We had what? We had Mob, we have Blood Lad. Uh, 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 yeah, no, we, we have his character in your line, April. There's oh, his yeah, character you're right. in Bob. Don't, don't forget Moggy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, Moggy, no, play, uh, he plays a literal hothead. Because I, he I, gets... mean, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if Ollie really counts as, like, angry blonde kid. <laughs> <laughs> He's on fire. I, it, might, it might as well be. Anyways. I, I, I just decided, because you brought up Bloodlet. I want to do a fucking Bloodlet episode, because that shit is amazing. <laughs> just um, throwing it out there. We I don't know. reveal our secrets on air. We we have never discussed Bloodlad before, ever, as a possibility. Don't you start. God damn also, it. Also, anyway. we do that all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> ah! And your bitch ass is called out. Ah. <laughs> like, we're all inside you, baseball all the time. Uh, okay. Uh, I love you, sweetie. <laughs> but yes. Okay. Okay, uh... I love you. I'm sorry. I'm channeling my inner Megan right now. <laughs> this is how this uh, goes today. Uh, okay, okay, okay Tap Megan, would you like to go? <laughs> okay, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. Um, Okay, so Dorothea, Fallon, and Philip. So obviously, aside from weird lack of accents not being a thing, uh, particularly for Fallon and Philip, because reasons. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously that's the one thing that took me out of it again. But anyway, um, so I'm out of the three of them. The only one I'm actually really familiar with is Eric Scott Kimmerer. Um, so I'll save him for last. The other two I'm not too familiar with their ranges. However, Xander Mobus. 
The only thing I know him as, even though I've never heard him actually voice it, is Joker from Persona 5. <laughs> what the like, fuck? To be fair, he only says, like, a handful of lines in, like, the entire game. He's basically like a know, I, I, protagonist. I, I, aware. I'm, I'm fully okay. aware. Granted, I've not played or heard the game. True. But even then, it's like, you look at Joker's character. It's one of those moments where, in my brain, I'm like, you look at Joker's character design. And you look at Fallon, <laughs> like, holy shit, um, I, is, holy shit, Xander is rather burly, and he's rather tough sounding, like, bringing it down there to the baritone bass levels at points, and you can, like, he's the stereotypical muscle of the group. That's the stereotype that Fallon is, and what he, it, this role really calls for, and I think, Aside from surprising the ever-loving fuck out of me <laughs> with this, um, I think it was actually really good because for Fallon, he's he can be snarky at times. He has this fun, sarcastic flair to him. Um, like, sarcastic, tough guy kind of flair, and I really enjoy that. And Xander Mobis just downright amazing. Uh, Tamara Ryan is Dorothea. She definitely brings a strong female presence to the group. Um, where did I put? She's mature and passionate, and that's the probably the best way to describe Tamara as Dorothea. Um, she's kind of the calm, moral center of the group. One of them, anyway. Um, the other one will probably get to you next. And um, as one of the moral centers of the group, she shows such strength in the performance, and I actually really, really like that a lot. Um, I may not be bi or gay, but Dorothea <laughs> is hot. <laughs> I will agree with my own boyfriend <laughs> that she is actually kind of hot. Um, but either way, like in terms of performance-wise, it's a very strong moral ground, which is something, and especially in this group of characters here, I think that the show really needs, and I think Tamara portrays that very well and then we have philip and philip's a little <laughs> shit sometimes <laughs> like not gonna front he is a snarky and savage little shit which to this point if with the amount of performances we've heard from eric scott kimmer he's played a lot of snarky ass little <laughs> shit <laughs> snarky and savage little shit it's so in a way it's in his in his damn wheelhouse and i love it to pieces um, but outside of that, though, Philip does have some inner complexities, too, because, like Jet brought up when we were introducing the character, for some reason he hates Yuli because a serious killed his parents. And, um, I think one of the best moments was in episode two, it was very early on in the series, um, when Yuli is injured, he's staying at a doctor's place, and he has this little daughter, uh, her name is Saki, and, um, Philip is forced to stick it out there, too, just to keep an eye on him and give give Yuli some company. And at that point, it's pretty clear that Philip doesn't really like Yuli. But um, Saki, the little girl, at one point, she's like, well, why do you hate him if he didn't kill your parents? Like, this other, th like, why be mad at him for someone else's actions? And, like, his, the reaction we got from that and the... the little children <laughs> calls out racism. I, I know. <laughs> It's like, oh, damn. And um, 
I think the sudden shift in his character and his tone, and the more and, and from there, like he starts warming up to Yuli a lot more, and I love the interactions that um, Philip and Yuli have um, a lot. I th all three of these performances are very very solid. A lot of them are surprising. Some of them I really need to keep an eye on, aka Tamara. Um, and Eric, in terms of Eric, he has a bit more complexity aside from being the savage little shit. So I really enjoy these performances a lot. Okay, uh, Roots. Yeah, I think the funniest story about um, about Philip is, um, as, as we said, Megan was supposed to be on this episode, but um, while she was watching the first couple of episodes, I don't remember if it was in the Team Grimgar chat or to me directly, but she was just, oh god, he's gonna die, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Which... I'm I'm kind of glad he didn't. Like I I love that this is Eric Scott Kimmerer basically playing a little asshole. Like I I really like I really like it when he performs that archetype because he's really good at it. And um, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't even know that uh, that Fallon was Xander Mobus. Welcome to my world. <laughs> Like, I'm kind of familiar with his voice from other things, but, like, I I didn't know he was capable of that range. I really liked it. It was really cool. And, uh, I'm not really familiar with, uh, Tamara Ryan, so, like, getting exposed to new or newer people is always a great thing. And, and I like her performance. I like how she basically keeps everybody else in line and... Yeah, all good. Thumbs up. Okay, uh, Andrew? Uh, okay, so, first things first. Uh, part, I, I will say I am a little sad that these characters in the grand scheme of things didn't get to do as much as I was expecting. This became a little more of a, about two other characters instead of them, but these guys, while I wish I could have seen or learned more about them, they were still plenty fun. Uh, Dorothea is very interesting. She is a strong, strong female protagonist. She's into guns and kicking ass and having a lot of quips with her fellow cohorts and also kind of bonding with Ryoko a lot in regards to mm. training her yeah. in the ways of the female warrior as well as being a uh, wing woman, so to speak, in regards to her uh, embarking on trying to court the Yuli. Which yeah, was a uh, lot of fun. Uh, Tamara yeah, is. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I, I was. I was actually about to say, like, the dynamic between Dorothea and Ryoko is actually really, really fun. I enjoy it a lot. Um, re like Dorothea, like being the badass big sister to Ryoko in a way. It was kind of fun, actually. It was a lot of fun, and Tamara is a new name for sure that I'm less mm. familiar with, but. I think she does a pretty solid job playing this character and this particular archetype, and I would not mind seeing more of her in the future in regards to anime projects. Uh, Xander Mobus is already a actor I know is very talented and versatile when it comes to anime, so seeing him play a big, beefy Irish boy who is plenty of fun and all he wants to do is just give bear hugs and kill uh bear vampires is he also wants to fix cars he's a mechanic he's, he's a mechanic he's, he's good with his hands he's a handsy boy but he's not he knows he knows personal space 
Wasn't he the one who killed the big beefy vampire in the last episode? Like, he was the uh, one who dealt the final blow? No, that was Dorothea, I think. Okay. It was Dorothea. He almost did, but it was Dorothea. <laughs> but okay. either way, uh, Fallon is very fun, and he's a very good boy, and I wish he could eat all the all the big steaks, because he deserves them. Uh, Philip is a... He's a little... He's a little stuck-up asshole who's a little bit of a werewolf racist at some point before it's like, that doesn't make sense. Yuli didn't do that to your parents. And he's like, oh, I'm getting told off by an eight-year-old. Yeah, Oof. that was the greatest, like, Not a good look. fuck you moment. <laughs> but Eric Scott is a fun character, and he does a very good job doing this kind of... Uh, He's a little bit cocky, a bit arrogant, but you can tell he cares a lot more than he likes to let on about his friends and especially about Yuli. And I think uh, Eric does a stellar job bringing that out in regards to this character. Uh, he's fun, he's a little bit snarky, but you can tell he means well. And I think this group dynamic is a ton of fun and I enjoyed them. I just wish they were a little bit more prevalent throughout. Okay, um... Uh, so I will start with Xander Mobis, because uh, I also gotta say this one was a little, this one was a little unexpected for me. Um, I could kind of tell it was him in the previews, but uh, for what I've seen of his work, I kind of associate Xander Mobius with like pretty boys, like Joker. So seeing him play a gruff beefcake was a uh, a little surreal for me, and it was definitely a very interesting casting choice. Uh, but while Fallon definitely has, while Fallon probably has the least to do out of these three, uh, Xander definitely manages to give him a very goofy, if, you know, kind of brass sense of charm. And it makes Fallon seem like the kind of guy you wouldn't mind grabbing a drink with. And, uh, and a lot of his interactions with the other characters are just, like, a whole lot of fun. And I also like the, like, very little blankety-missant line where Fallon kind of mentions that the reason he works as a vampire hunter is, like, to send money home to his family, and uh, I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, like, uh, I wish he had a little bit more to do, but, uh, for what he had, Xander did pretty well, and I wouldn't mind seeing him in more of these types of roles. Uh, Tamar Ryan as Dorothea, on the other hand, I was actually a little bit mixed on. Uh, Dorothea, like, to me, felt like he was supposed to come off with, like, a mix of, you know, maturity and sultriness, while also being something of the big sister of the group. And, uh, for me, I felt like Tamara only kind of got the bladder path, like... She was really good at playing up Dorothea's friendly side. I liked all her little moments with Ryoko where, you know, she's like teasing her over across her trying to help Yuli get a clue. Uh, but a lot of her deliberate and more serious moments felt a little more uneven to me. And I couldn't quite buy to the character as easily as I could with everyone else in the show. I mean, I guess in fairness, Dorothea didn't really have a whole lot to do either, so, like, that didn't really help. I mean, like, I didn't dislike the performance, and I'm certainly up for hearing her and more things. Uh, but, uh, for me, I guess this wasn't, like, the, totally the best impression, and I hope, and I hope Tamar Ryan does, is a little bit stronger than any future projects he does. Uh, and then lastly, you have Eric Scott Kimber, and again, I have to say, what is it with this guy playing smug blonde kids? <laughs> I mean, wheelhouse. Uh, uh, wheelhouse. Uh, so needless to say, Eric was pretty in his element with Philip. And uh, for the first few episodes, he plays him as being very much a brat and overly hostile towards Yuli at every opportunity. Uh, however, his character starts to change as we learn a little bit more about his history. 
And then when he realizes that, hey, there's no real reason to blame Yuli for what his people did to his parents, uh, you start to see Eric's performance become a little bit more gentle. And I like that it not only makes Philip a little bit more likable as a character, but it also helps you tie it to Yuli's character arc as he starts to realize, like, hey, there's no reason he should have to fight his brother just because he's a vampire. And that, you know, maybe leading a crusade against all vampires isn't exactly a very smart idea. Uh, like, it's a bit more nuanced than I was expecting from a very straightforward action show, and I really like that. Uh, so, as the highlights, Hayes, Andrew Bovis, and Eric Scott Kimber were really good, and uh, while I wasn't quite as impressed with Tom Ryan's, he did, uh, he did well enough, and I'm curious to see what else he might be able to do in the future. And I guess with that, we can go to the next section. It's time for the dad part. Yeah, yeah, so it's time to talk so about... So many dads! Ah, uh, yeah, so it's time to talk about Yuli's two dads. Unfortunately, they are not a couple, but... <laughs> they are not, but fan fiction and doujins can fix that now, can't it? Oh, no. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a fanfic. Uh, You're not wrong, that's the worst part about it. <laughs> okay, um... Legitimate question, with all the wolf people, do the carpet match the drapes? Oh, wow. <laughs> what kind of stupid question is that? The answer is yes, Andrew. They do. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so on the one end, we have Professor Willard, who takes Yuli in after the destruction of the Sirius tribe and kind of serves as his surrogate father. Uh, while Lexi, on the other hand, is Yuli's actual dad, who... Fled Dogville, yes, that is an actual the, the actual name of the village in this show. Uh, he fled... <laughs> when you try your best, but you don't succeed. <laughs> damn this show, writers! God damn it! Uh, uh, so he fled Dogville with the Ark of Sirius in order to seal the Ark away forever and to protect the future of his tribe. Uh, so playing Professor Willard, we have Ray Chase. And for Lexi, we have Katie Tang. Uh, Ray Chase has done such characters as Yukiatsu from Anohara, the flower we saw that day, Zash Kane from Fairytale Dragon Cry, and David Shield from My Hero Academia, the two heroes. Uh, Katie Tank, on the other hand, has done such roles as Detective Looker from Pokemon Generations, Masaru Kato from Got Zero, and Osamu Dazai from Bugo Stray Dogs. Uh, so, Seth, would you like to start us off? Sure. Um... I'll start with I'll start with KG first, um, only because we really only have him for like an episode or two, uh, in the last third of the show. But um, as Alexi's father, because the majority of KG's performance is flashbacks to the events that occur prior to present day, and Yuli gets to watch like everything that happened up until this point. But um, KG has a soft and passionate tone to Alexi that I really, that I honestly really enjoyed about it. He shows pride and determination because what he sets out to do, he's doing for the good of his home, for his family, for his people. And he's also trying to change the change, change tradition basically because tradition states, cause it's a very poignant point because it's a point that they make because there's um the person before Eba who was sent to investigate and find the Ark of Sirius. He never he went basically went MIA. Um the story is he went to Dogville, 
he found Alexi and talked to him. And once they found out, hey, I'm looking for the Ark of Sirius, tradition mandates or dictates that the second they find out that someone's after the Ark of Sirius, you, you done kill him. You done goofed. You fucked up. You're dead. But Alexi doesn't want that at all. So he wants to change the mindset and this tradition. Like, can't we just coexist with people? Like, is this a thing that has to keep happening like this? So having that kind of mindset, that determination, um, having the pride that he has for his home village, I enjoy that a lot. Ray Chase is an interesting enigma. Because if you've ever seen this, heard us talk about Ray Chase before, you will know that half the fucking time we will call bullshit that that is not Ray Chase. <laughs> Oddly enough, this is not one of those times for me. Like, I could tell it was Ray Chase, which is very weird. <laughs> like, I don't know maybe if I, if I got used to it, because I saw the list that Jet gave me um, when I joined in, and then I was like, which one's going to be Ray Chase? I suspect it's this guy, and I was right on the nose with it. Ray is an interesting person. Ray's character was Willard is very interesting um, because he's a hell of a dapper gentleman, for sure. He's a very dapper man, and um, he also has the strong tone, the strong leader tone that he has to have, because he's the one in charge of this group of Jaegers, and it's he's also, at the same time, rather complex because of some of the things that we find out later on, um, that he, he's actually more closely connected to Yuli and the situation than we were originally led to believe. So, aside from being the dapper gentleman that he is, because Ray Chase is such a dapper gentleman and a goddamn chameleon, it's not even funny. Um, it's weird that it's one of the few times for me that I actually recognize Ray Chase. Because he just, he just hides himself very well. It sounds, the closest actually it sounds to is actually probably David Shield. It actually sounds relatively close to David Shield, and that's probably why I recognized it very easily. Um... But in general, I really do enjoy both of these performances, and Ray Chase just keeps f flooring me with, like, downright awesome performances, so I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. These two are good. <laughs> okay, Roots. Okay, so that was KG Tang? Yes, that was KG Tang. Yeah. That's, like, the third time in this episode... <laughs> Where I'm just like, oh, that's somebody I should have recognized but didn't. God, Wait, but the they're casting... this episode or just KG Tang in general? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which, oh my, which, holy crap, like, casting of this show was good in this case. But, oh, um, yeah, totally. I, I really like that KG gave um, Alexi sort of that fatherly warmth and... Like, it was a really good performance, and I, I, I really liked it. And, um, I, I like that this is one of the few times where, like, Ray Chase is actually kind of being Ray Chase. Like, as, as, uh, as Steph was saying, Willard is kind of a, kind of a dapper gentleman. He's got an air of sophistication to him, and, like, I, I really like that Ray Chase was able to kind of convey this because you know the, the the accent thing kind of 
masks it a little, I guess, is the, the word I'm looking for. But I, I really like that, like, he is that gentleman badass. Mm-hmm. Absolutely he is. Like, he, he does that really well. And I, I think I've been on a few episodes where we've talked about him before, and every time it has been for something completely different. Like, Hunter Hunter, Berserk. Uh, I want to say there was something else. Fate Apocrypha. I know for me... Fate Apocrypha, I, yeah. I know for me, it's like this. Hana um, Hana. He, he's done Hana, a lot. Hana, he's done a lot. Um, fairy Tale, Dragon Cry, definitely. So there's a few for me. Like, dude's got some scary range, and... Yeah, it's terrifying. I have to applaud it here. <laughs> Just as I have applauded it in just about every episode I've been on where I've talked about him. So, good job, both of you. Thumbs up. Okay, uh, Andrew. Okay, so we'll start with Alexi, because I love Keiji Tang, and I love talking about Keiji Tang, but Keiji Tang doesn't get that much to do here. He gets basically an episode to himself to be a dad and give the MacGuffin to his son. But that's kind of it for the most part. I forgot that he was from Dogville, by the way. That's that's really you want to talk about on the nose, boy. I forgot. God about that. damn it, Andrew. <laughs> I, okay, I mean, in, I mean, in fairness, how are you supposed to know they're werewolves? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody wanted to pull a red rocket on anybody, I guess. I don't know. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yes, uh, KG Tag is a very good, uh, gruff, manly man dad voice. And I enjoyed hearing him interact with uh, Yuli and be a dad for a bit. And that was cool. But you want to talk about dads, let's talk about Willard. Uh, because Ray Chase is a very interesting actor who you get to hear play a lot of different types of characters and at this point he's probably more convincing as men like <laughs> half his own age at this point and that's kind of what Willard is while also simultaneously looking like a militarized version of a Ace Attorney character. Oh wow he totally, he totally looks like a oh, Luke at wow. me within the military. <laughs> he does look like wow. him, doesn't he? No, <laughs> doesn't no, it's a cr- no, it's a cross of Luke at me and um, Shelly to killer. God, he just looks like the kind of guy who'd be on the on the defending side, just head in his hands. Yep. You're oh not wrong, God. and I've ruined that for you. Anyways, Thanks, while you babe. sit there in total despair, uh, <laughs> let me talk more about Ray Chase. Because Ray Chase as an actor is really interesting. Like I said, he's very, at this point, he's played as many characters half his, like, that are like double his own age as his own age rage, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but he's very convincing. He's very stern, tough, badass. But you can also tell he's very troubled. And while he doesn't always show it, you can tell he really does care a lot about Yuli. And he's very much prepared. Like, the day you find out the truth, I'm just ready to die. I accepted that. But he's surprised that his his, his basically baby boy wants him to live. And does in fact, does not want to go on a murder revenge spree. And wants to become a better person. And he's there, like, trying to help him out, chasing to the ends of the world. And Dorothea's being like, you're actually a lot more concerned about your baby boy, aren't you? It's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He's basically <laughs> just a giant Sundere dad, grandpa man, military boy. And he 
is very interesting. He's really weird, but he's really cool. And he gets a couple of badass moments surviving in the bar and just fighting a lot of vampires and hellish monsters. And he's really good at it, too. And Ray Chase, as an actor, continues to be very enjoyable to listen to. But yeah, this wasn't like a, holy shit, that's Ray Chase. That's like, oh, hey, Ray Chase, it's been a minute. It's glad to see you here. Yeah. Which uh, is not, like I said, I don't expect every actor to blow my mind every time I hear them in a thing. Sometimes it's just nice to hear them play something. I can tell it's them, and they do a good job. And I could tell that was Ray Chase, and goddammit, he did a pretty stellar job as the military dad ace attorney man. Okay, um, alright, uh, so I've noticed Ray Chase has been cast as a lot more, like, middle-aged character roles lately. And I kind of would like to see him get cast as younger characters again, but, um... To his credit, he's proven to be very good at playing older characters, and this one is no exception. Uh, he definitely plays uh, Professor Rowan as being, you know, a bit more refined and soic than a lot of his other roles. Uh, but the business-like attitude he gives off definitely, definitely helps to give the impression that he's a man of experience. And I don't really have too much trouble buying into the idea that he's, like, in charge of this whole group. Uh, even if his change in occupation from being an archaeologist to a vampire hunter is, like, a pretty big one, like, I'm really very curious how that worked out. Uh, pretty simple. <laughs> uh, one day I got this, uh, I got this ruin from the desert, and then a vampire kicked me in the dick. And from that day on, I swore I would kill vampires. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to describe it. I was it. gonna explore some ruins, but then I got high. And I got high. God damn it! No, 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 no. You did it to yourself, sweetie. You fucking did it to yourself. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, speaking of that, while Ray doesn't give like too many opportunities to emote in this role, uh. You can definitely feel, like, twinges of guilt over what he did to Yuli when, uh, Cursor reveals exactly why the series were attacked. And, uh, Ray gives off enough nuance in a lot of his later scenes with Yuli that, uh, you can tell- you can really tell that Willard's kind of come to care for Yuli like a son, even if he's not very expressive about it. Uh, like, this isn't- like, this wasn't a super set-up performance for Ray Chase, but I really enjoyed him in this role. Uh, as for KG Tang, as Alexi, uh, while he wasn't in the show nearly as long, uh, I felt like he had enough significance in the show seems uh, that it was pretty important to include the character here. Uh, a lot of this shows, a lot of this uh, shows undertones. Uh, well, mostly the second half kind of deal with the issue of uh, xenophobia and the dangers of isolationism, and uh, that can really be uh, seen quite a bit in Alexei's flashback as we kind of see him caught in the middle of the whole struggle between the serious tribe traditions. Uh, concerning how they handle outsiders and what will be best for the future of his people and his children. And uh, you can really feel that struggle in uh, KD's performance as he manages to convey these concepts with enough emotional sincerity that I felt like I understood Alexei pretty well, uh, even if his time in the show was pretty limited. And uh, it definitely did a lot to help sell me on what this show was attempting to go for, I guess. Uh, so anyway, I very much enjoyed both these performances. And uh, while neither of these two uh, quite qualified as very good dads, both had very good acting, so that worked out. What are you talking about? Willard's the best fucking dad. Don't <laughs> at me. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, on a dad's stick, here's the thing. From bad anime dad to good anime dad, he ranks about a, about a 6.5. Don't at me. 
best anime dad right now, at least for this show. Don't at me. <laughs> uh, okay, well, yeah, I guess for this show. <laughs> for this show, he's best dad, so don't at me. <laughs> uh, yep, and and with that, it is time to get into some of our videos. Into some of our villains, specifically. Oh, our no, 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 wait. No, 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 wait. Hang on. Before you do that, we're not getting into them. We're sinking our teeth into them. God damn it, <laughs> Andrew. Okay, I kind of have to give you, you that one. You go into the corner and think Thank about you, what you Jack. just done. Go Thank in the you. fucking corner, babe. Don't you applaud yourself, you <laughs> motherfucker. Go in the corner and think about what you just done. God damn it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyway, we have our two primary antagonists for the first and second half of the shows, respectively. Uh, Kirstner and Yevgrov. Uh, so, Kirstner is another vampire royal who... Serves on the Yevgrav and works to hunt down the Yankers, while Yevgrav is the king of the vampire clan and wants to save his people from a mysterious disease using the knowledge from the Ark of Sirius. Uh, so playing Cursor, we have DC Douglas, and for Yevgrav, we have Ben Diskin. Uh, DC Douglas. Bullshit! Hmm? Bullshit! <laughs> Fucking bullshit! <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> uh, no. so, <laughs> uh, so anyway, DC Douglas has done such roles as Shoot McMahon and Hunter x Hunter, Vincent Pike in Mobile Suit Gundam Thunderbolt, and since this one came out very recently, Yoshikake Kira in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Diamond is Unbreakable. Uh, Bandiskin has had such roles as Kai from Blood Plus, Darnick Presto Negative Millennia in Vain Apocrypha, yes I actually managed to say that right. And shout mod from Digimon Fusion. Okay, now you can go ahead, Lilac. These two performances, I'll start with um, DC Douglas first. Because, uh, ironically enough, they each, both Douglas and Ben each have a half of the show. That they get to be the villains for. In terms of DC Douglas in the first half of the show, he has such a regal air about him because yes these are vampires but they're also royals that's made very clear and dc douglas has probably the stereotypical like snotty rich royal kind of vibe to him and i think it works really really well like everyone is beneath him he does not give a shit everybody must die these jaegers are a pest they need to die. And it actually comes off really, really nicely, and I enjoy it so, so much. That is not Ben Diskin. <laughs> I refuse to believe that is Ben Diskin. I fucking refuse to believe that's Ben Diskin. <laughs> like, normally we would call horse shit on Ray Chase whenever he comes fucking in here. But today it's Ben Diskin. God damn it. <laughs> oh, it's him, all right. That is not Ben Diskin. I refuse. I refuse to believe it. Holy shit! I've played enough Kingdom Hearts to know when that's Ben Diskin, and that's Ben Diskin. I've, I've also seen Fade Apocrypha, and this is very, very similar I've to I've played nor seen none of those, so fuck you. <laughs> that is not Ben Diskin. Um, aside from me freaking the fuck out, it's, um... Ben also has this regal heir to him but he also 
Like, you can tell that this is the actual bad guy of the show because he has such very, very deep-seated hatred and, like, roots for, like, these evil deeds that he's planning and this, the gears are turning in his head and it's like, holy shit. Um, And he has this real air about him as well, similar to DC Douglas and some of the other, excuse me, some of the other royals that we meet in the show. But... In the latter half of the show, especially in the last third, where he finally like gets the point, gets to the point where he gets what he wants, he suddenly becomes, oh lord, oh my, he suddenly, be- <laughs> here, this is my note, okay? Ben gets super growly and desperate when pushed to the edge, and it kind of sums up very well because, again, I have not heard Ben Diskin go that route before. If that has not been made clear at this point, I apologize. But no, I have not heard him go this route before. But um, it's very different. Like, the only other time where I've heard him... It's like... It's like it's Bond from Seven Deadly Sins, but more growly. <laughs> like, even more growly. Like, holy shit. <laughs> Basically, if Bond didn't respect women. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Exactly like if Bond never respected women, <laughs> Elaine would be sad and kick his ass. Um. Anyway, but it's... Let's be real here. The whole conflict between Bond and Meliodas is that Meliodas calls women thoughts and Bond calls women queens. <laughs> You're not wrong at all. That statement is not wrong at all, actually, which is funny and bad, actually. Um. Anyway, <laughs> no, but... um. <laughs> overall like for me this is very different to see Ben Diskin play like it's similar to some other roles that I've kind of seen however when he really really gets desperate um, as this character does especially after what he finally does get what he wants it becomes so intense and very 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 like growly and like holy shit now I'm terrified of this man like what the fuck um, but yeah like I think Given the circumstances, and especially for me, having heard Ben Diskin in a variety of roles, this is extremely different. And um, I think it's potentially one of my favorite performances of the entire show. Potentially. But uh, we still have two people to cover, so. Okay. Roots? Yeah, I, um, I really appreciate the fact that both of our villains had sort of that air of ham to them. That sort of aristocratic snobbery that makes you just want to punch them both out. Oh, it's great. I want to punch. I want to punch them. I want to punch their asses into the sun. Leave them the bird. But while um, while DC Douglas was sort of the more traditional vampire villain of the two, um, like Ben Diskin just. He got handed so much scenery, and he chewed it to a pulp. There was nothing left. There was nothing left when he was done. Everything was just destroyed. Like, it is it is absolutely fabulous and hammy, and, like, I, I play Kingdom Hearts. I watch Fate Apocrypha. I know Ben Diskin as the bad guy. And this sort of plays on that a bit. But it's also, like, 
I gotta say, it's one of the most fun Ben Diskin as the villain roles I have experienced so far. Like, it is just beautifully hammy, and then in the last episode when he goes berserk, like, he just has to do all that guttural growling and roaring and... Oh my god. I was done. Uh, just so good. Both of them are just so good. Thumbs up. Like, I, I don't know how much more I can add to what was already said. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry for stealing everyone's thunder right now. That's, I don't worry, I have plenty left to say. Cool. Okay, so DC Douglas is a refined, regal, uh, badass vampire general who is pretty suave and pretty menacing and does a good job serving as the first central villain for a while before effectively getting offed by Yuli. Ben Diskin, on the other hand, is a very much... Like, at first it seems like he has emotions and cares... Because it's like, why else would you keep two bratty vampire children around with you at all times? But at the same point, honestly, every everything around him and surrounding him is just one giant fashion travesty. Because that man is just wearing a goth hot topic feather boa. And his, his vampire servant, Mikhail, is just... He's just wearing whatever that is, so... <laughs> so at this I mean, point, he is basically... He is menacing, he's chewing the scenery, he's growling up everything, and he's ready to swallow all the MacGuffins, and he just doesn't give a fuck. Like, at first it seems like his goal is to revive vampires, because we sort of forgot to mention this, a plot point in the series is that vampires of dying of a inexplicable disease that they can't really cure and they think never if never explained what it really is actually. if they get oh yeah we, we never actually called it either the arc no. of Sirius everybody in the show is after the arc mm -hmm. of Sirius because the arc of Sirius does something something it does plot it is you uh, can uh, literally just Deus call it the machina it's, no, it's, no, no, okay, no. it is okay, not okay, a deus ex machina it is a MacGuffin okay, okay yeah like okay supposedly yeah like supposedly it has like Supposedly it had, like, vast knowledge or something like that, but... I mean, yeah. <laughs> literally just kind of swallows it and becomes a bigger, badder, eviler vampire man. And just kind of goes crazy, but loses control. So, like, Ben Diskin is very much... This is what I know Ben Diskin is capable of, but every time he does it, he is chewing up all the scenery and being extra as hell, evil as hell. And it is a ton of fun, especially when the final battle happens and... That really cool battle in the sky happens between him and the two brothers, and it's really cool looking. But Ben Diskin is a ton of fun as this cat. What is his name again? Uh, Yevgrov. 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 Okay, by the way, not sure if it's been said already. The vampire names are fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> They're really dumb, but goddammit. The, the only show actual good one is Agatha. That's it. <laughs> Look. They are dumb and fun, and this show is very dumb and a ton of fun. And it also looks goddamn gorgeous, especially during the fight scenes, because Masahiro Ando is capable of some goddamn good fight scenes. Anyways, uh, DC Douglas and Ben Diskin were a ton of fun as our vampire villains. Okay. Can I, can also, I just... once he gets the arc, uh, 
Ben Diskin's character should really get that eye looked at because I think I think that's pink eye. No, I was about to say, like, I know you were making fun of, like, the boas and shit, but didn't you know vampires are fucking fashioned forward, Andrew? (laughs) Like, come Uh, on now, that shit's insane. They live for thousands of years. Look, when you can't walk in the sun, nobody can tell you what looks good or not. Uh, I mean, I I, I think I get over that he literally just had the top hat, but. Oh, God, I forgot the top hat. he looks terrible, but he looks amazing. <laughs> he's he's stupid and amazing at the same time. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so for me, um, I mean, so I've heard DC Douglas and a few things. The most proud of those being Kamachi uh, and Persona Five. And uh, while that character is also pretty despicable, uh, Curse there is a bit more sophisticated, if you will. Like. He's like that snotty rich dude who won't actually go around yelling racial slurs in public, but he definitely believes he's superior to everyone else. And uh, DC oh, Douglas' God, performance... was Kamoshida, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was Kamoshida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's definitely the kind of guy who believes he's superior to everyone else, and uh, DC Douglas' performance oozes that sense of slime very wonderfully. Uh, it's certainly an interesting contrast to his Kamishita, and uh, in a lot of ways, this guy kind of reminded me of Chris Rager's character from Yamato, since uh, both feel very much like the kind of guys who would go on and on about belonging to the quote-unquote superior race. Uh, so, uh, needless to say, I was pretty happy to watch this guy get fried, and uh, DC Douglas finding enough smokeless to the performance to make that feel extra satisfying. And uh, all in all, I was pretty impressed on this one. Uh, as for Ben Disk and the Jazz Grove, Ooh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> uh, so I said this way back in the Erase episode, but one of my favorite things about Ben Disk as, as an actor is that no two roles of his are ever played exactly the same. Like, even when he's using a similar vocal register that you can kind of recognize from another thing, uh, he always brings enough energy to a performance to make each character he plays feel very distinct. Uh, this particular role is a lot more on the gruffer end of Ben's vocal register than some of his other roles, uh, and he manages to ooze enough menace and swagger to make the performance sound very distinctive from the get-go. Uh, so, like Kirstner, Yevgrab is also very much aboard the We Are The Master Trace reign. I mean, the Master Race train, my bad. Uh, but whereas Kirstner is a lot more, like, flamboyant and condescending about it, uh, Yevgrab is a lot more, like, apathetic to people who he believes are below him, and even his minions are no exceptions. Uh, so, like, uh, one of my favorite bits of his was in episode 10 when he, you know, monologues about the potential end of his race. And while you can, like, kind of tell that Yevgrov probably does maybe genuinely want to save his people, it's less, of, it's less because he cares about them and more because he, like, can't bear the thought of vampires not being superior. And uh, Ben's delivery gives off a sense of mix, I mean, a mix of anger and pride and kind of helps to make that scene feel... Uh, you know, a little bit more intense than probably needed to be. Plus, once he swallows the arc of Sirius, he's like, okay, now I'm actually superior, so fuck all of them. Yeah, it kind of seems like <laughs> yeah. at the same time he has, like, because remember the scene where he's um, talking to the elders, which, by the way, all three of the elders were fucking upside down. I'm like, how can you not, how can you survive that for, like, a set period of time? Okay. It definitely seems like okay, he has, like, some virus. kind of, inf- yeah, I, I know. I know, but blood rushing to the head, like, what the fuck? But uh, anyway, it seems like Yazgov does kind of have some kind of inferiority complex to an extent, too. Because the uh, others are like, fuck you. <laughs> like, what are you fucking doing? Like, no. I mean, also, to be fair, uh, 
Your blood can't rush to your head if it doesn't move. This is true. This is true. <laughs> My point being, this character seems to have a slight inferiority complex because the elders are just like, nah, man, if we die out, we die out. Oh, no, I hear you. I hear you. But I just had to that's, make yeah. a that's joke. The, that's, the, that's the point I was getting at. But yes, make yeah. jokes. <laughs> I had to do uh, the pointed head joke. Yeah. Ah. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, as I mean, of course, as good as all the serious stuff is, it would be a bad Nishkin performance without some fine quality ham. And uh, when Yevgrov gets his head on the arc and goes nuts, Ben goes equally nuts, and it makes Yevgrov getting demolished all the more satisfying. He also gets a lot of, like, really good one-liners, too, when he goes nuts. There's this really prominent one I remember where, like, he's mocking Yuli, and he says something, it says something to get you, like, Oh, you're a flea bag. It's fitting that you would die on all fours. And I was like, oh. Was oh, like, my oh, God, snap. yes. That was great. I'm like, oh, my God. Making dog jokes. So, no, the majority of the dog jokes came from just Ben. That was it. I was done. <laughs> it was just Ben who made the dog jokes, basically. Plus, you want to go about the whole master race thing. He's literally being racist to the dog people. Yes, he is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, yeah. yep. Okay, yep. It is finally time to get to the dog people here and the half uh, so, dog person now. Yep. Uh, so we have our two. So we have our last two characters, Yuli and Mikhail. I like uh, to call this section two stupid dogs. <laughs> Werewolf bar mitzvah, spooky, scary. Boys becoming men. <laughs> Men becoming wolves. God we went in two it. different directions with this, but I respect <laughs> your quality. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jet, who are they? Uh, so Yuli is a werewolf thought to be the last of the serious tribe, and has devoted his life to hunting down vampires to avenge his family. Uh, whereas Mikhail is his brother, who was thought to be long dead, but was turned into a vampire by Evgrob in order to help him find the Ark. Uh, so, so, playing... it's the, so it's the Seraph complex all over again. Uh, Except this know. time they're actually blood related. They're actually blood related this time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, only one of them looks like they shop at Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> Two brothers who are actually brothers. Bravo. Ah, you're Rick and Morty into Suddenly, this. UFOs appear and. <laughs> God, I I used to be able to do that whole like impromptu Rick and Morty thing, and I can't anymore. Uh, you're better off for it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so playing Yuli, we have Koi now, and for Mikhail, we finally get to talk about Billy Comets. <laughs> hey! Is it Comets? I, I've been trying to figure this out. Is it Comets or Comets? I honestly have no idea. One of those. Billy. Two. His name is Billy. That's all we need to know. Anyways, what have these two done, Jet? Yeah, so Koei Dao has done such roles as Ray Kiriyama from Mars Comes In Like a Lion, Brian Brandon from Be the Beginning, and Flat Escardos from Fate Apocrypha, and also Guy Okata from Sword Guy the Animation. Uh, Billy Cummins, on the other hand, has done such roles as um, Yuya Kanzaki from Aiko Incarnation, Metal Lee from Boruto Naruto Next Generations, uh, Josuke Higasta from Joseph Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable, and Sei Ichijo from also from Sword Guy the Animation. Oh yes, the two leads from Sword Guy the Animation <laughs> are the two leads in uh, Sirius the Aegir. We can now talk about them in a better show. 
<laughs> so hold on. Sword Guy was also Netflix, yes? Yes. What does and that it was fucking also... tell you about Netflix? <laughs> well, it's less about Netflix and more about the hilarity of uh, Bang Zoom casting. Which, oh, by the way, we, we brought this up. This is a Bang Zoom dub. Ta-da! Anyway. Oh. Where do I even start? Because it's... At the beginning, I said that I've never talked about these two ever before in my life. I am not familiar with these two ever before in my life. <laughs> so, with a blind perspective to both of these see, actors... See, here, here's, here's the extent of my knowledge of Billy and Koi. Anime Fest, I only watched one episode of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Diamond is unbreakable with everyone. And as for Koi, I only watched one episode of March Comes, Comes in Like a Lion when Andrew was visiting me for New Year's. That's it. So my knowledge of these two is extremely limited. <laughs> like, holy shit. So you're giving um, the freshest opinion. So oh, absolutely I am. So starting off with... I'm going to start with Koi Dao, actually. I think it's... um. I think Koi Dao, as Yuli is, he starts off rather subdued, um, and considering the the character trope is like the angsty fucking teen out for revenge, it's not Sasuke levels of angsty, revenge-driven teen, but um, you kind of get where I'm going with this. But throughout the course of the show, like I think Koi kind of grows into his own. Like He starts... He has a wall built up. He's very revenge-driven. But as the show goes on and you start learning about him more and he starts getting to know people, I think especially with his... There's two relationships he has where I think he really kind of starts bringing the walls down and trusting people. It's his relationships with Willard and Philip. Like, he suddenly now has, like, a father-son relationship with Willard, which is something he doesn't have because at this point it's he doesn't have really any family and his only family at this point is with the vampires so that kind of sucks and then you have philip is basically i would say he ends up being the best friend in the situation despite them not well i can't say yuli didn't like philip it's not really implied if he ever liked him or, or hated him or anything like that despite the relationship being kind of um heated in a sense um but like, as the show progresses, I think Koi ha got to be able to relax a bit more, got into it a little bit more with the complexes that Yuli has and the moral the moral questioning and the ethics that he has to go through um, in terms of, but my brother's a vampire. I said I was going to kill all vampires, but wait, what about this and this and this? And it kind of, I think for him, him and his character arc, it leads up to a really nice conclusion um, where he decides that he wants to create a world where everybody can coexist um, at least on equal, on fairly equal terms, whether it's a serious or a human or a vampire. And I think it's very interesting seeing that through line for um, Yuli's character. And I think Koi portrays that very well. Billy, Billy commits here. Um, hmm. He comes off at first kind of ominous in a way. It's a very, um, both ominous and rather stoic. Like, you don't see his true intentions. He has this wall up 
Um, so nobody can get in and nobody knows what's going on. Um, but you see in the flashbacks, and then I think as the series progresses, he starts, you start to see his true intentions. Like he's doing everything he can to keep his little brother alive and to help him like stay away from all these problems that he's been dealing with for the past, what is it, 10 years, I think it is. Um, but I, I'm kind of, I, I'm between the two of these performances, I'm kind of floored by Billy. Like, I'm probably the most impressed with Billy between the two of them because, probably more because, uh, fuck, Mika. Names. Uh, Mikhail. Mikhail. Thank you. Yeah, Mikhail. Mikhail. It's Mikhail. They pronounce it as Mikhail. The, the Seraph, the Seraph comparisons don't help with a name like Mikhail. <laughs> Mikhail. Uh, Mikhail. Um, Just call him Mikey if you're having trouble. I'm calling him Billy. <laughs> That's his name. Um, Billy, I think, Mikhail's character has probably the most, one of the more complex through lines. Um, even more complex than Yuli's is, actually. Because you see this turmoil that Mikhail is going through from, like, oh, look, I'm being forced into being this vampire and being this blood pack with this asshole, this stupid asshole, <laughs> And doing his bidding, and he lets me do what he wants. Like, he, no, he lets me do what I want. And then all of a sudden it's like, nah, fam, you, you failed one too many times. <laughs> Your ass is grass. <laughs> and he just, like, controls him. And it's just, the minute where Ben Diskin's character starts really actually putting the full control of the blood, blood pack or blood bond with him, it's like, holy shit. Like, Billy is gone. He goes almost primal at some points with it. And it's just, holy mother God. And you feel bad for the guy. He's gone through enough as it is. And he only wants to do things to help protect his, his brother. So, I think both of these gentlemen, like, as my first full-fledged outing with both of them, and hearing both of their voices and their ranges, I, I loved them to death. They were fantastic. But in all honesty, I think Billy really impressed me more between the two, mostly because of the character of Mikhail itself. But um, yeah, I really love both of them. Uh, let's start with Koi Dao. I, I like how he started the show off as like a little ball of angry and like, I, I love how his character just sort of complicates as the show goes on. And like, it's, it's a fun performance and... I, I really like Yuli's character arc, especially at the end when he has he has the arc in his body and he's and he just does that monologue with the vampire twin and whatever happened after that happened after that. <laughs> We're not gonna <laughs> dig that back up. But um <laughs> But I, I like that he just has these moments where he can be like angry and then he gets these really quiet and subtle moments. And, like, God, I'm really happy I get to talk about Billy Comets. Because, unfortunately, I had Toonami for a long time, and now I don't. So I don't get to watch uh, Diamond is Unbreakable. At least, you have Toonami, at least you had Toonami, period. Look, it's going to be on TV sooner. Not TV. It's going to be on DVD sooner or later. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. But uh, this is, like, the first time I really get to hear Billy Comets and, like talk about him here and i really i i really like his concerned brother performance and like 
in the last episodes when he goes berserk. Like, oh my god. Uh, it's all good stuff. I, they. I felt for him. They both did a real good job. Like, thumbs up. I... I, I really hope to see Billy Comets and, like, a lot more. And Koi Dao has just impressed me with just about everything I've seen him do. So, yeah. Okay, uh, Andrew. Uh, I'll start with uh, Billy as Mikhail, the vampire fashion disaster that he is. Uh, first and foremost. <laughs> you mean vampire fashion forward that he is. <laughs> Whatever. Don't even front. <laughs> Regardless, uh, Billy Kometz as uh, Mikhail is very interesting. He sounds very casual. Like, he has a very distinct and interesting, appealing voice. You can tell he's an older Big Brother kind of character, especially with the origins of them in the past in Dogville. <laughs> <laughs> but also, just as an FYI, I love the Edie of the show because it's just it the two so of them. Cute. It is the cutest thing in the world, and it makes my heart melt every time, and it's I love so it. Cute. Um, I love it too. But Billy is a very. It, he does a very good job being this dramatic, conflicted character who's trying to choose between the cage that he's living in or the home that he used to know. And it's really compelling to see him interact with Yuli and. The things he'll do to try and help his brother out. The things he wants to help out with. And those battles where they work together are really cool. And the final battle is like really tragic but kind of badass at the same time. Yeah. I think Billy Komet has a very distinct voice. And pretty much in the past year or two, he has really made a huge name for himself. And while I'm not going to say this is like the best he's ever been, he does a pretty stellar job with this role. Koi Dao as Yuli, though. Um, Koi Dao is an actor I was already super impressed by in March Comes In Like a Lion. I adore everything he does with Rei Kiriyama. And I want that season two on streaming as soon as fucking possible, please and thank you. Um, but as Yuli, this is basically what if Rei Kiriyama was Aaron Yeager? <laughs> Which I now realize the oh, irony of the fact that he's a Jaeger. Oh my god. <laughs> I now you realize went there. The, I went there because uh, it's the same thing. Is that his goal is, I want to kill all the vampires, oh aka, god, I right. want to kill all the titans. But that's his goal through half of the show because vampires killed his brother and his family. And then he's like, oh wait, no. Clearly my, brother, my, clearly my, my brother, Sasuke Uchiha connection does not fit anymore. It's it Aaron doesn't Yeager. fit anymore. It's Aaron Yeager. <laughs> you are not wrong. But here's the thing that I find really interesting about Yuli as a character. He kind of drops being Aaron Yeager and is like, I don't think I actually want to kill them all anymore. Good. What do I want to do? This isn't what I want, but what do I want to do? Good. You I have to go, find that path go, for myself. Sorry, you should never go full Aaron Yeager. Especially in current manga chapters, but that's that's another t that's for another time. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, no, he he finds his self he finds his self what what is it uh, self searching uh, self reflecting journey that he goes there on to is. find what he wants because he finds he doesn't want to just kill the vampires he actually wants to help and work together and coexist with different races. He wants to coexist with the humans. He wants to coexist with the vampires. He wants to coexist as a representative of his tribe. 
And it's kind of interesting to see a character like him go from angry, angry, angsty, I want to kill everything, to I want to help everybody. I want to help my brother. I want to help people. And I think that's really interesting and admirable. And Koi Dao does a stellar job showing that empathetic, that angry boy, like, that angry boy who wants to kill and murder and go feral. And also this empathetic person who wants to change the world for a better. And then by the end of the show, he basically becomes an immortal wolf god. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really enjoy Koi Dao a lot as Yuli. Yuli was a much more interesting, enjoyable character than I was expecting him to be. And I was kind of compelled by both him and Billy as Mikhail. They did a stellar job and they basically like held the show for me. Uh, so uh, for me, starting with Billy comments, uh, it kind of sucks that uh, we haven't really gotten the chance to talk about him until now. Uh, but he also happened to star in some shows that weren't very good, and uh, also Jodo's been figuring out how to cover that as a whole other issue entirely. Uh, either way, I've really enjoyed him in basically everything I've heard of him so far, and uh, this one is no exception. And so the, for the first few episodes, he plays Mikhail as being very aloof, since, you know, we aren't totally sure what his deal is at that point. While there's, like, occasional hints of antagonism in his voice, you never you never really get the impression that he really wants to harm Yuli if he can help it. And uh, it turns out that was very intentional, because we eventually find out that he's just being controlled by Yevgrov through their blood pact. And uh, from that moment on, he plays Mikhail with, like, a very strong sense of warmth that makes it uh, pretty easy to feel sorry for what happened to him. Especially in episode 11, where Mikhail kind of breaks out over his failure to protect his only brother, and... Uh, Billy's performance really did a lot to help Mikhail set out to be more than he probably would have, and it really makes me hopeful that we'll see Billy in a lot more things going down the line. And also, I and also I gotta say, like, Mikhail got done dirty at the end, but... I eh. mean, at least... <laughs> here's the thing. At least they didn't cop out and bring him back. I would have been very mad as a cop out to bring him back, though. Fair. Okay, yeah, yeah this is true. <laughs> like, the second if that happened, I would have been done. Like it all it is as much of as much of a bad moment it is, and it's like no, we don't want to see him go. It's like it would have is... been a complete cop out if they revived him. In all, all right. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Uh, as for Koi now, uh, seeing him here as Yuli was very interesting for me uh, because the last time I saw him as a lead character was Guy Ogata in Sword Guy, Uh-oh. who was okay, who was. So inherently edgy of a character that his arm is literally a sword that brings nothing but pain and misery to his loved ones. Like, that is literally wait, 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 a plot wait, wait, point wait, wait. in that show. I know nothing about Sword Guy. This is a fucking thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's his sword is, like, yeah, it's his arm is literally a sword. <laughs> and, like, and, like, and, like, and his whole thing is like, and his whole thing that, oh, this sword arm brings nothing but pain and misery to people. Like he, like it, like the sword art possesses him and makes him kill people. It's, it's really weird. It's it weird. takes the, it takes the phrase <laughs> "down sword arm" to a whole new level. Like fun fact, like somebody involved with Garo was involved in the manga of Sword Guy. I can't remember who. I think it was oh, one of the God. writers. Oh no! no I, don't, I, don't, I think it was like whoever. I think it was like whoever designed the armor did. Okay. It, it was it was like the designer of Garo. Oh, I think. Lord. Yeah. Okay, that explodes. Down sword hand. <laughs> Down sword hand. Okay, uh, so uh, needless to say, I was uh, pretty worried Yuli might be a repeat of that. Uh, when he started off the show feeling bloodthirsty for revenge. Uh, but that goes away pretty quickly, and Corey's performance ends up being a lot more nuanced than I was expecting. 
Uh, over the course of the show's run, Yuli goes from wanting to avenge his fallen people and, you know, exterminating all the vampires to realizing that, hey, some can be good, hey, some are good, some are bad, and, you know, there's good and bad people in any race. And uh, he decides to instead dedicate his life to honoring his people by coexisting with others. Uh, it's simply not the route I expected this show would go in, and Koi manages to make every aspect of Yuli's transformation feel believable. Uh, so much so that I'd have a hard time nailing out just one specific scene that said that for him. Uh, but I guess if I had to, though, it would probably be the confrontation between Yuli and Professor Willard. Uh, like, right after Yuli discovered the truth about why the series were attacked. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a good one because, you know, Yuli was going through a lot of mixed emotions through that whole bit. And kind of questioning if he could ever, like, really bring himself to hate the man who's raised him. And uh, Corey's delivery got all that across pretty well, and I was really impressed by it. Uh, so, I can't quite say this is, like, my favorite Corey Dow performance because, you know, Ray Kiriyama from Mars comes in like a lion exists, and uh, that'll probably always be a tough one to beat, but I put this on a pretty close second, I guess. Mm. And uh, with that, it is time to move on to Final Thoughts. Oh, I guess it means me, huh? Mm -hmm. I didn't expect to enjoy this show as much as I did. And, side note, first of all, because this didn't get brought up, one, the music is pretty awesome. First of all, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and two, what's funny is the character designs remind me a lot of Bungo, which is very weird. And I mistook this as a bone show, and then I learned it was PA works. I'm like, wait a second. And then I looked at the character designs. I'm like, these people didn't even work on Bungo. What the fuck? Anyway, um, to be fair, that... Matsuhiro Ando, blah blah blah, bones. Ah, yes. Okay, there it is. But um, anyway, that being said, this this show, the show itself, not the greatest thing in the world, not outstanding, anything like that. The dub itself, though, is really solid. Like, I like the casting. I like the direction. The writing is solid. Um, again, kind of like what I was saying at the beginning, it brought some good performances from actors that I've never heard of before. Because, again, I don't talk about California dubs that often unless Jet drags me into shit. Um... And then it has that. It has a mix of act performances from actors that I'm heard in name only, but haven't really heard anything, aka Billy and Koi. And then it has what the fuck you don't. You, this is not. A, this thing does not exist, aka Ben Diskin. <laughs> but um, overall, it's really solid for. A sh it's actually a really solid dub for a show that's maybe not the greatest thing in the world to me. Um, it is a fun show though. It's very much a fun show, a good, easy marathon, like popcorn material kind of thing. Um, and if that's your kind of pace, you're going to love the show, and I think you're going to love this dub as well. So overall, very solid dub efforts. Kudos all around. Bravo. Yes. Yeah, um, this is a really fun, dumb show, and like, I, I had a lot of fun watching it. The dub is really good and really solid. I just kind of wish we would have been able to talk about this, like, four or five months ago. Like, mm -hmm. as it was as it was finishing airing in Japan, because Netflix. Yep. Yay, Netflix. <laughs> but I, uh... on that side of things, I'm kind of glad they're going with more the ONA self-distribution method for stuff like Ultraman. But that's, it's... It's kind of a not here nor there that, matter, but it does look, need to be brought Look, up. look, 
we we we've talked about Netflix and their models here and there. That's we've said all we right. could at this point. But yeah, it's just one of those things that annoys me about this because I was really looking forward to this show last summer. So, but I'm I'm glad that Bang Zoom got to spend what time they needed to to get this dub really nice and polished, get everything ready to go, because it is a it's a very good and very solid dub. I would probably own this if the opportunity ever arose. I will say that I don't think this is. The show itself is a standout piece of media or something I'm going to remember in the future down the road. That being said, this is a show that is a ton of fun, looks really good, has some great action, has some very fun character moments, and has a very strong uh, dub attached to it. Uh, I very much did enjoy a lot of things with these characters. Some characters I wish got used more, especially the likes of Ryoko and the entirety of Yuli's Jaeger squad. But there's some surprising character moments that really did take, like, give me a surprise and some endearing, interesting, empathetic moments. And it's just, it's a show that's kind of goofy and dumb and it, it feels like a show that is aware it's kind of goofy and dumb. So I'm never, like, upset or angry. It's just kind of like, it feels like it knows it's goofy and dumb. It's vampires, werewolves, and sometimes Frankensteins, much to my girlfriend's uh, <laughs> anger. But God it's damn a ton it. of fun. Why you, why you bring this up? Yes, it's very self-aware, in all honesty. It, it's a ton of fun. It's a really, it's an enjoyable 12-episode watch. I had a, fu a lot of fun watching it, and the dub is pretty damn solid. I mean, screw it. If we're going to go that route, let's bring in the creature from the Black Lagoon, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Let's do it. Do it, guys. Why you have Season that? Season two. I'm s I'm s <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that still made me mad that they half-ass it. Andrew, why you do me dirty like this? You bring up Frankenstein's monster again. Why? Why? Why you do me dirty, honey? Keeping my mouth shut at the phrasing. Jeff, please move on. That was on purpose. <laughs> Okay, uh, so uh, this show was a little bit of a surprise for me. Uh, I came in expecting some good, dumb fun with vampire hunting. And uh, while I certainly did get some of that, this uh, also provided some uh, occasional insights into, uh, you know, things like the dangers of xenophobia and the importance of family, which was a little bit more than I expected what we would get from an otherwise very simple action show. So I thought that was a little nice, even if the show didn't, you know, totally capitalize on that stuff. Uh, the dub certainly helped with a lot of that, as a lot of the performances really did a lot to throw me into uh, the show's atmosphere. Well, not every single one of them was a knockout, the ones that delivered really, really delivered, and it helped to make this a very solid experience. Uh, in a sea of great shows from 2018, it's kind of a shame this flew under the radar a little bit, thanks Netflix. Uh, but hopefully now that it's available, you know, it'll get a little bit more traction, since it's a pretty decent little series. And on that note, you know, since we've brought it up many times, if you want to check out Sirius Yeager, you can currently only do so on Netflix. Dull so. surprise. 
More or less, but... I mean, I mean, it's okay, because as we speak, you probably have a Netflix account, or you probably know, like, ten people with a Netflix account, because who doesn't have a Netflix account, so... Mm-hmm. Look, you could sponge off somebody, and you probably already have somebody sponging off of you if you're not already sponging. Anyways, uh, you can watch it on Netflix legally in English, Japanese, and several other languages. Yes. Indeed. Uh, so, before we go, do you guys have anything you want to plug real quick? Uh, anyways, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter at Mangaman9000. You can also find me as a moderator for the Funimation Forums and Discord, as well as a co-host podcaster for Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA. My name is Stephanie. You can follow me on Twitter at LilacAnimeReview, with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E. I also have a blog, lifeandtimesofotaku.wordpress.com, which I need to update, which I haven't done in a while. I'm terrible at it. I'm sorry. I'm done. Okay. Uh, Roots? Yep, Roots of Justice on Twitter. Hi. Um, blog (laughs) stuff coming soon. Hi, Roots. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, as for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jet in Neverland or at Divine Nega, where I will usually uh, be talking about cartoons or anime or what have you. I also occasionally write things on my blog at Mason Infinity. This season I'm doing reviews for The Promised Neverland. Uh, you can also find me on Podcast ONA alongside Andrew and some other fine people where we occasionally talk about anime news and stuff. As and, for uh, oh, are you? I was gonna. Oh, 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 oh no, you can do that. Go ahead. I don't remember the whole thing. As no. for Dub Talk, you can find us over on YouTube at Dub Talk Podcast. You can also find us on Twitch, Tumblr, Instagram, and I think it's Twitch, Tumblr, Instagram. One of those. Anyways, if you want, if and you like Twitter? what we do, and Twitter, Twitter, that's the big one. We <laughs> use that one the regularly. Big one, <laughs> Stop. Oh, let me do the thing. Okay, thank you. It's not even your responsibility, you asshole. Okay, anyways, uh, you can also, if you like what we do, you can offer us a Kofi and give us a little money, and yeah. Uh, if you like like what we do, we do these weekly, and it's a ton of fun, and if you've made it this far, thank you very much for sticking with us, and we hope you tune in next time. Yeah, and so uh, thanks everyone for tuning in, and uh, Otaku on, I guess. Uh, uh, when you try um, your best, but you don't succeed. <laughs> I don't have an uh, ending for this. I'm trying to think of what we I just gave you one. Do 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 do